1: here we are, last show of the week. That means the weekend is here. And last week, around this time, uh, I was brimming with optimism of all the things that I was poised to accomplish over the week. I was going to give blood. I was going to go to a family party. I was going to get together with friends. I was going to uh, take uh, my son to Pennsylvania for a Christmas train ride. And all of those plans went to pot because my son... Came down with the flu. Well, here we are a week later, and I am cautiously optimistic that things will turn out. Much better this week because uh, he's doing a lot better. But we are going to begin this show as we begin every edition of the first hour of the final program of the week with a little...
0: The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents... Ask Frank... Ask Frank Anything... Ask Frank Anything... Ask Frank Anything... Ask Frank Frank anything. Anything... If you are new to this program
1: and wondering what's it all about, this is the hour where you get to ask anything you want on any subject. Now, for those of you that uh, have questions about the JFK document release, I will take your questions and do my best with them. But we're going to delve into this bigly next hour uh, with the attorney, Larry Schnaff, who's joined me before, who actually filed the lawsuit to force the government to release some of these documents. And make no mistake, there are a lot of documents that have been released, but there are a number of documents that uh, have not yet been released. So we'll get into that. 800 848 We are going to give a prize away to whomever comes up with the best question, the most creative question, the most interesting question, the most different question. We award points for creativity. And uh, they say you have to know your audience. And uh, the judges as to what is the best question will be Matt Blaze, Alex Barnard, and we have no Kenneth today, but we are once again joined by Ryan. So for those of you that uh, are adjusting your questions in the hope of getting a prize based on who the judges are... Keep in mind, we have Ryan instead of Kenneth today. 800-848-9222. Let me begin with David in the Bronx. Hello, David. Hey, good good evening. Good
2: morning, Frank. Um, Let me just set this question up very quickly. I've only walked out of two movies in my entire life. Practical Magic with Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman and The Adventures of Pluto Nash with Eddie Murphy. (laughs) Now... What kind of movie, if any, have you walked out on? And I mean an actual movie that you have to pay to get into, not something on Netflix
1: Mm, or whatever. That's a great question. I actually, I don't think I've ever walked out of a movie. The two films that, I'll be honest, I would have walked out of, but I fell asleep during both of them and uh, slept through the entirety of both films, was Lord of the Rings, the first Lord of the Rings film and uh, and the hobbit and i know these movies are very popular but um for whatever reason neither of them struck me as interesting and i was I, I still think i've made the right decision by choosing to sleep uh in terms of those hours but in terms of a film that i actually uh that i actually paid for and then walked out of you know uh I, the, the other one that comes to mind is there was a film that i enjoyed very much uh called hugo but i was I was dating a girl at the time, and she was a little moody, and there was uh, there was a kid or somebody behind her that kept kicking her seat, and she just got so upset over it that she made us leave the theater. Now, I did subsequently go back and see that film, and they, they refunded us. But uh, So I went back, I think, by myself and saw that film. So I didn't walk out because of lack of interest. But uh, the, So I don't think I've ever walked out of a movie that I paid full price for. I just uh, I did take a lengthy nap through the entirety of Lord of the Rings and uh, and The Hobbit. So give me yours, David. I'm curious.
2: Well, like I said, uh, there was Practical Magic, which I honestly was so I didn't appalled see that. by that I got up after, like, 15 minutes. And The Adventures of Pluto Nash is widely regarded to be one of the worst uh, mainstream movies that Eddie Murphy ever did. And I walked; I took my nephew to that when he was like 10, and even he wanted to leave. So that tells you how bad that was.
1: Interesting. Well, uh, David, thank you. Yeah, I, I, um, I'm I not a walker-outer, honestly, even if I'm not really in... Ju- First of all, look, uh, it's so, these days, I don't get to go to the movies, really. I, I'd like to go to the movies, and uh, my wife and I keep trying to plan a movie date, but, um, the best laid mice, the best laid plans of mice and Moranos don't always come to fruition. Um, but it takes so much effort to go to the movies. You have to not only pay a lot of money, but you have to, in our case, arrange a babysitter. You have to budget two hours, three hours of your time to go to something. So usually I will only go, especially with Rachel to something that I'm pretty convinced we're both going to really enjoy. Um, and so I, uh, I don't think that I, um, I, I don't remember walking out of any other films. 800 That's 800 848 a good question though. Very good question. Uh, David is always a creative mind. Henry is in Manhattan. Hello, Henry. Hi, Frank. Hi. Uh, speaking of, I decided to,
3: anyway, uh, Uh, Speaking of movies, uh, are you pretty
1: familiar with the movie A Few Good Men? Um, I mean, I've seen it. I wouldn't say I know every line, but, yeah, I'm fairly familiar. Okay. Well,
3: I'm just wondering, in in that movie, uh, there was a question of whether people who are standing guard duty should shoot, you know, on uh, sight or whatever uh, was going on. And what I'm wondering about is whether you think the United States has the right to uh, uh, station uh, uh, soldiers on the border and uh, instead of letting uh, invaders, as they're often called, through, shoot anyone that goes over the border.
1: Well, look, I think if you had armed um, armed servicemen at the border, they wouldn't be shooting anybody. I I think that would be such a disincentive for people trying to come into the country that uh, chances are they would surrender to the Border Patrol or to the National Guard or to the military that was on the border. So I don't think they would be in a position to shoot anyone. I I think the look, there's clearly a lot of problems with the border. We could do a whole show and still not even scratch the surface of all the problems with our border policy. But uh, I think the problem is kind of who's eligible for asylum, where they go when they request asylum and this whole thing. And look, the root cause of this is, and I've talked about this many times before is Venezuela. The sanctions that we have in place on Venezuela have been crippling for this country. They have done nothing to do away with the, um, Marxist thugocracy that runs Venezuela instead it has condemned a lot of people to uh, a lifetime of poverty and uh, we 're seeing a lot of these these people that are impoverished in part because of American sanctions become economic refugees. So we need to get our border uh, policy straight. I'm all for stricter border enforcement. I'm all for up, uh, beefing up the uh, border security. But I think we also need to do away with these sanctions on uh, on uh, Venezuela. 800 848 Mike is in the Queens. Hello, Mike. Yes.
4: You, Mike? Uh, so you had said there's a website where you could sell your idea to. And if they like it, they'll try to get it sold, and they'll take some of the money, uh, use it for themselves also. Uh, could you – I think you said Quakey or something. Could you spell it? I I, I caught the end that time yeah, when you said, said it. Yeah, it's
1: Quirky.com, Q-U-I-R-K-Y.com, Q-U-I-R-K-Y.com. Q-U-I-R-K-Y.com. Okay, Q-U-I-R-K-Y.com. Q-U – I'm sorry, sir. Q U R I R. Mike, are you, are you are you pulling my leg here? Listen. No, no, it's no I'm not uh, I'm calling R K Y dot com.
4: One last time, Sam. Sorry, you okay. go to fast.
1: Q U I R K. Wait, wait,
5: Q U <laughs> Q U I,
1: go ahead. <laughs> Q U I Q I go ahead. Q U I R K Y dot com. And again, they're not an advertiser. We just can't. Big plug. I mean but all right, okay. Uh what hey, it's ask Frank anything, right? Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Hey Frank, how do you spell quirky again? <laughs> <laughs>
6: That's right, Frank. So you're not so smart. Mm. <laughs> I'm
7: sorry. My question is, uh I love Barry Kilmeade when he's on your show. Uh, does he get any sort of monetary compensation? And also, do any of your guests, under than self-promotion for their books or or appearances that they do, do they receive any monetary? No,
1: compensation? Uh, no, no. I've gotten this question before. No, we've uh, we've never paid anybody uh, to appear on the show, and uh, I don't think any guest. There's only been two guests that I've ever asked me to get paid, and I didn't pay. Either of uh, either of them, but um, no, no, I, I, we don't really have the budget to pay, to pay, uh, you know, to pay anybody. And there's plenty of people that want to be on the show without being paid. So, no, no, Brian or anybody else, nobody gets paid to come on the show.
6: Thank you, Frank. Thank you. Thank you, Neil.
1: 800-848-9222. That's one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. 848 9222 Pete in Piscataway. It's that away. Hello, Pete.
7: Hi, Frank. Uh, what kind of driver would you consider yourself? Uh tailgater, uh, honker? Uh, lane
3: switcher, or just go with the flow.
1: Um, well, I, I'm not a tailgater, right? So, give me the options that you. So, you said go with the flow, tailgater, lane switcher, and uh, and what was there one other? Yeah, the guy that the hogs. Nah. Yeah,
8: Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah I, I don't know that I'm any of those, right? I think um, if I had to pay I would say I'm a go with the flow in those uh, in those uh, in those instances. I wouldn't say I'm super aggressive. Or anything along those lines. Uh, but if I ha- uh, of those options, I would say I'm a go-with-the-flow kind of a guy. Definitely not a tailgater or a, a lane switch or anything like that. Thank you, Pete. 800-848-9222. We are going to give you a hat or a shirt or something fun for whomever comes up with the best question this hour. Igor, although some people think it's pronounced Igor, in Fairfield, New Jersey. Hello, Igor. It's Igor. Yes. Thank Igor, you, Frank. Yes,
4: hello.
2: Hey, so listen. Uh, let's say that uh, Tulsi Gabbards and uh, Andrew Yang come knocking at your door in Staten Island, and they they want to sit down and talk to you about something. Mm-hmm. And they say that uh, they're they, they're forming the, the a third party. They're going to run a candidate for president, and they're looking for somebody who knows something about campaigns and media, who's a quick thinker, and somebody who's understanding of their issues, and has a passion for third party politics. And they say that that they think that you're their guy to be the perfect guy to be a press secretary or even a, a spokesperson for the campaign. So under what circumstances might you consider that position?
1: Well, well that's interesting. Well, one, um, there are so. first of all, I think there are so many more people that are better qualified than me. So I would give them a short list of people that I think are a better choice than me. But let's, let's assume that the two of them are, um, you know, are determined that I'm the only person that can do this that is um that is actually something that i would really consider because uh, i really believe in those two and i really believe that we need a uh, a, a third choice in the 2024 election that challenges the establishment rather than uh, goes along with it so uh, i would actually consider that uh, the the two factors would be are they going to be able to uh, to pay me what i basically what i'm making now and i would have a conversation with the Red Apple Audio Network to see if there was a likelihood that I'd be able to come back and uh, do this show after the campaign. So those would be really the two factors. And uh, obviously, the um, I really would not be in a position to travel much around the country, so it would have to be something largely I could do from the New York area or from home.
8: Appreciate it. I think you'd be very good at it, Frank. Thanks. Be well. Enjoy the Thanks, rest Igor. of the weekend.
1: Appreciate it. Yeah, you know, I've had, usually if a candidate Ever reaches out to me, and uh, that 's a sign of desperation <laughs> because uh, the, if I was making an objective list of the top one hundred campaign managers or uh, public uh, press secretaries or something like that, i wouldn 't put myself in the top one thousand there's so many people that would be better than me, and you know what I have so much baggage you know i uh, hang around with mobsters, I say controversial things on the radio and uh, all sorts of other things that I wouldn't want my baggage to uh, hurt any candidate that I was supporting. So I would, sincerely, I would discourage them from considering me for a position like that. 800 Ray is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Ray.
9: Yes, Ray. do you remember Mr. Spell Quirky? Do you remember he did it
2: once
1: before
4: with an email?
9: He had to repeat the email
2: over and over. Do you remember that? Yeah, was that the same guy? I
7: think it is, Frank. I think it is. Okay, that's one question.
1: Second question, if Chad Lopez... So Ray, right, right, right. let me ask you, right, where, uh, where are you calling from? You You sound like you're I do, uh, I piloting sorry, the Hindenburg. Frank, I, drive, I drive a tractor trailer. Okay, all right.
10: Well,
7: yeah, what's your question? Oh, yeah. What's your question? Uh, all right. If Chad Lopez, I'm on Bluetooth,
3: that's why. I'm driving a tractor trailer.
1: This is uh, um, a ringing... This- This is a commercial for the for not going to Bluetooth. But go ahead. ahead. Sorry about that. Yeah. But if Chad Lopez
9: said you could broadcast remote for weeks from any location you wanted to, where would it be?
1: Oh, it's a good. Great, thank you. I'm going to disconnect you just because it's painful to listen to the background noise. Um. Well, so um. Maybe California, right? Maybe Los Angeles, because I have a lot of friends and uh, and family members there. Uh, That uh, that I really don't get to see very often. So I'd like to see everybody that is in California or, um, you know, I'd love to do sort of a tour of visiting all of our affiliates. Right. I'd love to do a couple of days at uh, WCBM in Maryland. I'd love to do a a couple of days on the at the Nevada Talk Network. But um, if you're taking aside the desire to visit affiliates and do it from there, I would um, I would probably maybe do uh, California, because, again, I do have a lot of friends out there and a lot of family that I would enjoy catching up with and seeing. 800 848 Larry is on Long Island. Larry's always got an interesting question. Hello, Larry.
3: So, Frank, you just mentioned mobsters. So here's the question. Go back 20, 30 years ago when the mobsters were more out in the open, everyday newspaper printing, cameras were on them, if you turned into a criminal back then, was there any one particular family who you were more attracted to than others?
1: Well, um, you know, even twenty years ago is pretty mild. I mean, if I'm going to go back thirty years, it would either be Colombo or uh, or Gambino, uh, just because of the relationships that I have with um, with folks there. I would probably say Gambino, just because the Colombo family was rife with uh, with so much infighting always. So I would say Gambino, also because there were so many. Meet Staten Island joints that were associated with the Gambino family. So if I had to pick one, and that's not a career I'd recommend to anybody, I would, uh, I would. Uh, you know, if I had to pick, I would pick the Gambino family. 800-848-9-2, and, uh, it's 800-848-9222. It's 800 And maybe just having a relationship with the Gaudis, maybe that would have given me a little bit of a leg up in the hierarchy. I don't know. All right, let me say hello to Fred in Brooklyn. Hello, Fred.
7: Yeah, hi. Good. How are you doing? Good. Uh, I'd like to know why... And Nancy Pelosi was not penalized for ripping up the speech by the president of the United States about six years ago.
1: Why? uh, Well, I I mean, because I think once once the president gives it to her, I don't know that it's officially considered a government document. I, I think it's considered sort of I think it's considered her property and she could do whatever she wants with it. I think that was terrible, what she did. Yeah, I do, too. I think it was poor optics, and I think it fed into a lot of the division in the country and a lot of the polarization in our country at the time. Uh, But I don't know that there's anything uh, criminal there. 800-848-9222. Joe on Long Island. Hello, Joe.
9: Hey, how are you, buddy? Great. You have a great show. I have a two-part question. I was wondering if uh, you know that Curtis had your favorite— buddy Curtis, he had a bet with Sid in the morning if uh, Giuliani was going to sit down with the mayor. And uh, if I'd like to, my question is, uh, do you know about the bet? And what did Sid lose?
1: Uh, I don't know anything about the bet, but I know I've been talking with Sid a lot off air about that. And I know he's, um, he's putting, he's working hard on putting that meeting together. And Uh, And thank you, Joe. And you know who I just left about two hours ago is Andrew Giuliani, and that is one of the subjects that we covered. So next hour, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my evening with Andrew Giuliani and what he might have said on that question. 800-848-9222. Mark is in Baltimore, WCBM land. Hello, Mark. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Murano, for
7: taking my call. We just picked you up down here on our affiliate. I'm a talk show host myself, so welcome to the
1: radio station. We just picked you up. Yeah, no, believe me, I know. I'm I'm very appreciative. What uh, what, Are you on WCBM? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I'm a broadcaster myself. What time are you on? I'm going to check you out. I'm all, thank you so much. Every Saturday
7: night, Eastern Standard Time, at 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock, I have the Veterans Benefits Show. I oh, simply give out information about veterans can get their benefits because I'm a veteran myself and I'm a
1: service officer. Wonderful. I love that. I'm going to check you out. Uh, you know, actually, do you guys podcast also? Because I, I try to keep Saturday yes, kind of... Yes, we do. You do? We do. We Good. do
7: podcast. Yes, yeah. we do. Right, I'm going to check out the Absolutely. CBM's well.
1: been around for 100 years. Oh, you don't have to tell and, me. Um, I, I know the history well. It's a great. Well, thank station. you so much. I really appreciate you
7: letting me say that because I wanted to say this. You know, I love your show as an overnight. I love the name of the show. I love the show. Welcome aboard to tell us, listeners, there for the listeners. How'd you get into radio?
1: Well, uh, thanks, Mark. Yeah, I um, I don't ever remember not being in it. I've described it as similar to the experience that Jack Nicholson goes through in the movie The Shining, where he's looking at these pictures, the whole these black and white photos from the twenties, the whole time. And then at the end of the picture, he ends up in the photograph. And you're not really sure how he ended up there, but he's in there. He, was he always there? or did he, How did he end up there? I don't know. But um, so I was always a big listener to talk radio. From the time I was about eight years old, I would go to bed w- uh, with a transistor radio listening to baseball. I was a big baseball fan back then. I'm still a baseball fan, but I was a fanatical baseball fan back then, much more so than I am now. And I would wake up in the middle of the night going to fall asleep listening to baseball and then wake up listening to these incredible talk programming. And then um, I would really enjoy a lot of this talk programming. I also had two uncles, um, one of whom passed away, my Uncle Carmine. But one was very conservative and one was very liberal, my Uncle Carmine and my Uncle Joe. And I was very close to both of them. I am still very close to my Uncle Joe. And uh, I would gravitate towards them at uh, every family function and every party, and I loved spending time with them. I loved kind of mediating their debates and watching the two of them argue and learning from them, because they're both uh, very, very bright men. And – the, the two of them were radio fanatics. So my Uncle Carmine would listen to all sorts of great liberal talk show hosts. My Uncle Joe, also a radio fanatic, would listen to all sorts of great conservative talk show hosts. And I wanted to know everything that they knew. So I listened to all the hosts that both of those guys recommended. And so I got in the habit of listening to radio. I was always into it. But I never really thought about doing it as a career until – about uh, 35 years ago, right? Um, no, maybe maybe a little less than that, but thir- th- around 30, year, no, 30 years ago, I heard Rush Limbaugh say the words uh, – he was talking about the G7 summit, and he said the word, humps back Nova Scotia. And when he said that, it absolutely blew my mind. Before that, I never knew that you could – Talk about serious issues and then intentionally mispronounce words at when he said Humpsback Nova Scotia. My life was changed because uh, I thought that's what I want to do now. uh, I'll spare you the uh, the the other details with that. But then uh, I was uh, I started doing a public access cable show. When I was about 16, uh, I was on the radio when I was in college. And so when I was doing the cable show, that kind of got me in the habit of interviewing and presenting and doing things like that, uh, kind of learning how to craft a show and map out a show. Then I was on the radio in college. I got a little bit more seasoned in terms of the radio aspect of things. I interned for a radio station, then worked there part-time, and then always uh, managed to wrangle um, a number of on-air opportunities. And, um, you know, uh, the rest is kind of history. But uh, I really owe everything. And thanks for the call, Mark. I really owe everything about how I'm able to make a living now. It's uh, really to two people, really to uh, John Katz and the owner of our network, the owner of our station, who gave me this uh, this opportunity, which is really the equivalent of winning the lottery. Uh, and I thank him every day for that. Uh, so I really owe that to him and to Curtis Lewa. Honestly, when I was an intern, with Curtis. You know, Curtis gave me some of the early opportunities to be on the air. He was very good about uh, coaching me and uh, telling me things that I could do better, things that uh, uh, and giving me strategic career advice. And so, um, you know, that's really kind of it. I wish I had a more elaborate story, but uh, basically it was as a listener. As a listener, I would write to a lot of my favorite hosts. I would ask them all for advice. I would call in to a lot of my favorite hosts and uh, just kind of became a part of the radio community long before I ever worked in it. All right, we're going to continue with your questions straight ahead. It's
0: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano. With Frank Marano. Frank Mamacita. Donde esta Santa Claus? Donde esta Santa Claus? And the toys that he
11: was Oh, where is Santa Claus? I look for him because it's Christmas. Eve. I know that I be This is one of the great
1: Christmas songs of all time. And now, you know, we're always trying to get more Hispanic listeners because of the changing demographics of the country to the tune of 15,000 people that will soon be coming across the border every day. And uh, this song by Augie Rios, Donde Esta Santa Claus, is not only a great... Christmas song. It's just a great song, uh, period. Absolutely love it. All right. We are answering your questions on any subject, as we do each and every week at this time, as we do.
0: The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything.
1: anything. Let me say hello to um, Ben in Baltimore, Maryland. Hello, Ben. Hi, Frank. Hi. Um, I have a three-part question. Great. Okay. I'll do the best that I can.
4: Okay. First of all, why did your screener want to know how I'm listening?
1: Uh, Well, I guess because if you're listening on Baltimore, you know, I could say, hey, it's Ben in Baltimore.
4: Oh, I got it. Um,
1: Second of all, do you guys have a little, like a supermarket in New York? a little oh, oh lidl l i d l lidl yeah, yeah L-I-D-L, i actually yeah. i actually have one about 10 minutes from my house yeah okay so if you go there you'll see they have Chilean
2: atlantic salmon now i'm sure this is bothering millions of people how do you have chilean atlantic salmon if <laughs> if if chile is on the west coast of south america
1: That's a great question. You know, so Chilean salmon is raised in the Antarctic waters of Patagonia and the producers of this fish are, um, you know, are stewards of this, you know, ecology. This is apparently the second largest salmon producer in the world. And uh, I don't know why they call it uh, Chilean Chilean Atlantic. I don't know. It's a good question. I'm going to have to uh, research that a little bit more. That's a good one, uh, Ben. I I don't know. Uh, I'll be honest. That is a great question. And uh, that's exactly the kind of thing that strikes my curiosity. So I will do some homework on that. uh, I am a seafood fanatic. I had some uh, Chilean sea bass for lunch yesterday. Delicious. And, uh, you know. Pretty good. All right, uh, Bobby in Woodlawn. Hello, Bobby. Bobby! Hello. Hello, Bobby. What's on your mind?
8: Frank, how are you?
1: I'm great. Okay.
8: Question simple. What does it smell like in outer space?
1: <laughs> uh, oh, I know, Bob. Bob, Bob, Bob you're my friend, uh, old my old uh, drinking buddy. It's good to hey, good to see you. At the old clubhouse, all that. Absolutely, stuff, yeah. it's great How to hear from, you, from you. I'm I'm great. What does it smell like in a- outer space? You know, I'm guessing it's one of those things, the like sound where you don't smell much. But uh, the next time we have an astronaut on, I will ask that question. I actually don't know.
8: Uh, I've asked an astronaut about this uh, and he just laughed at me um, <laughs> and I wanted to get into the deep science
12: of what it smelled like in outer space and he wouldn't touch. It. Maybe he knows something we
1: don't. <laughs> that, it's a great question, actually. What does space smell like? Uh, I um, Astronaut Thomas Jones said it carries a distinct odor of ozone. A faint, acrid smell, a little like gunpowder. Um, he said it's sulphurous. Uh, Tony Antonelli, who was another spacewalker, said that space definitely has a smell that's different than anything else. I, it's a good question. I am going to uh, ask that to the next astronaut that we have on. My standard question for astronauts is always, you know, what what space movie is the most accurate? But this might replace that because it's a great question. I, it's one that I never thought of, honestly.
4: I would think that Tom Hanks' movies probably
8: would uh, one of the more accurate.
1: That was what several astronauts have said. Apollo thirteen. Other people have said a couple of other pictures. Bobby, uh, let's let's catch up soon. It's great to hear from you, my friend. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let me say hello to Bob in Yonkers. Hello, Bob.
4: Good morning, Frank.
1: Morning, Frank. Frank,
4: have you ever thought about interviewing LBJ's children? in regards to the in regards to the investigation of the assassination of of JFK
1: Yeah you know I have a uh, thought about interviewing uh his daughter but um, I didn't have any luck. But it's probably about time that I would reach out again. I don't think she's into that into commenting on the uh, JFK conspiracy theories. But but you're right. I've actually not intre- not uh, not asked about that specific question. I will reach out again, Bob. That's a great idea. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. But also keep in mind that even if LBJ was involved in the assassination, or if he wasn't involved in the assassination, or if he was involved in the cover up, if he was involved in the cover up. It doesn't necessarily mean his children know anything about that, right? I mean, you think about the things that I do at work. You know, I mean, my son is only one. He doesn't know about much. He knows about uh, trying to sneak away and uh, bang on our grandfather clock and trying to th- stick water bottles in his mouth. But, um, you know, you don't necessarily, especially if it's things that you're trying to cover up, you don't necessarily share all that with your family, right? Sometimes you do, but it's worth exploring. I'm going to reach out to. His daughters again, actually. It's a great idea. 800 Let me say hello to Shimmy in West in uh, Manchester, New Jersey. Hello, Shimmy. Hi,
2: Frank. Good morning. Um, I'm just wondering if you will be celebrating Hanukkah um, next week due to the fact that your wife is Jewish and you do any Jewish practices at
11: home.
1: We uh we do keep a menorah in the house, so uh, we will uh we were we are going to light the menorah uh each day, and then we're going to a um we're going to my we're supposed to go to my sister in law's this weekend for Hanukkah. Uh, I think tomorrow, but uh, I don't know that we're going to end up going there because technically I think my son is still contagious, so I think maybe my wife might go without me. Uh, but probably the menorah is probably going to be the extent of our uh, Hanukkah celebration. And then I have another sister-in-law who's a practicing Jew. My my wife is considered Jewish, and if uh, um, you know she's you know the Jew is uh, the Jews consider her very Jewish, but uh, she's not a practicing Jew. My sister-in-law Deborah is a practicing Jew, and I think she and her husband uh, they're supposed to come over next week. And uh, maybe we'll do something a, a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more festive uh, when they're over. But I, I really don't know. I'm going to check with my wife on that when one. Is, where
9: did your you
7: sister in
1: Well, she, lit, she just got married, so she moved. But she was in uh, Tom's River. And before she was in Tom's River, she was in Lakewood. Oh, wow. But she's in Jersey still. She's in Jersey. Thank you, Shmi, uh Shmi. Or shimmy. 800 uh, 848 That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let me say hello to Tracy in Bay Ridge. Hello, Tracy. Hey, Frank. How
9: are you? I uh, love your show, man. Thanks. Uh, thanks a lot. Listen, uh, I was just, uh, I'm an old radio guy, and I love the old names, Ingram and, you know, uh, all the old guys. And I was just wondering that you think Dan Ingram would have got jammed up because of his sign-off? By now Kimosabi, what do you
1: think about that? You know, you know, it's so funny not on this station, right? Because uh we have a, an ownership that's very tolerant of political incorrectness, but I could see if he worked for a station like Z100 or something along those lines, I could absolutely see something along uh, along those lines. Uh, Dan Ingram was uh you know, I got to meet him a couple of times, a legend in terms of broadcasting and in terms of radio and and he was the least politically correct guy in the world. In fact, it was one story about 17 years ago. I was producing... um, I was off. It was Memorial Day of, I think, 2005. And uh, WABC in New York used to do these, um, these, uh, these days where they would play air checks from when WABC was a music station, and they did that the whole day. And then, because I was so into that format... Mark Simone hosted like an after show and after the, they call it W.A.B.C. Rewound. And Mark Simone hosted an after show. And I volunteered. I, I, it's difficult for me to imagine this now. But I, 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 I volunteered and I missed a family birthday, too. I volunteered to come into work, one, because I loved the format, two, because I was just very eager and uh, three, because Mark and I had a very good relationship at that point, And I wanted to help Mark out. So I volunteered to come in and produce that, that special show. So I came in and Mark starts taking calls about the, the, you know, the W.A.B.C. Rewound. Who's the first guy that calls in just a regular call, a regular guy on the call in line. But Dan Ingram, Dan Ingram calls in. And um, he starts, you know, uh, he answers a question. I don't remember what the question was in regard to, but he he curses. He says the S word and we dumped him and we, you know, we dumped him. And then uh, he just gets worked up into a rage about somebody that was using his name without permission. And 20 seconds later, he uses the F word. And uh, that went out over the air because the way – it's been fixed now, but the way the dump button worked in those days is it took 30 seconds for the dump button to uh, to uh, build up. So Dan saying the F word went out it's all over the the radio, and we got in a little bit of trouble for that. And um, there was, the New York Post, I think, actually did an article about it at the time. So even after he was retired 17 years ago, long long since the time that he was on the radio regularly – he was still um, getting, finding a way to get people into trouble and get radio stations into trouble. So I do think that if he was on a mainstream music top 40 station today, he might have a problem with Kimo Sabe. I know the last station that he worked at regularly was CBS FM. I don't see them allowing that these days. We're in an era where you can't even have a mascot in New York State called the Indians right, or the Chiefs. So I, I, don't, see, I don't see him being able to do that today. But who knows? Who knows? The king is having understanding management. That's the key. eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 that's eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. 848 Ina is in Manhattan. Hello, Ina. Hello, Frank. How are you? Great, Thanks thank, thank you. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Yes, I, I have a question about my becoming president. Um, what do you think of his speech today? About who's, um, whose Mr. speech? Trump. Uh, I didn't, I didn't Trump. watch it. I didn't watch it. I didn't know. I didn't, oh, didn't, I didn't hear it. it. Yeah.
12: Oh, it's... It energized me and I have hope. I was so depressed when I heard his voice. Um I was so glad. He touched every point what wrong and what he's gonna do with with this country. And only him can bring back the country. Only him. I hope and I'm praying that he he go forward and got get back in the White House. Well, I'm dying for him to get back in the Well house.
1: thanks, Ina, I'm glad you were you were inspired. You know, that's the kind of thing you want in uh in prospective political candidates, right? Whether it's Democrat, Republican, Independent, whatever, you want to feel energized, right? You want to feel motivated to go out and vote. You, want to, you don't want to feel like you're going out to vote just to vote against someone. You want to vote for something. So I didn't see the speech, um, but uh, if it had a positive impact on on you, more power to you. That's great. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. 848 Marianne is in Indiana. Hello, Marianne.
6: Hello Frank. Um I was uh wanting to ask uh, how many languages are there in the Star Trek series?
1: That's a great question. I don't know. Uh I don't know. Uh the the answer to that. Do you know? <laughs> Is that one of those Do you know the answer? No,
6: I don't know. Um my birthday was a couple of days ago and um here in Bloomington they had uh, Captain James Way and we they have a bus of her because she's supposed to return to Bloomington in uh, like 2030 or something like that. I don't know, but anyway, um, and I had them sing a uh, happy birthday to me in uh, Vulcan.
1: Oh well, that's fun. I just looked this up, and um, apparently, they the people that count this stuff and pay attention to it, they said there are ac- there are apparently 27 languages that they've encountered in the Star Trek universe, from uh, Vulcan to Klingon to Romulan to Ferengi. They say that they're uh, English. They said there's 27 languages. So uh, I didn't know the answer to that, but now I do. 800-848-9222. Tom is in Annapolis, Maryland. Hello, Tom.
4: Hello. I'm a longtime talk radio listener. My father had uh, insomnia from World War II, so he used to blast the radio at night. Bob Grant. We listen to Bob Grant all the time. But uh, I have three questions after I answer that question about Chilean Atlantic salmon, if you want. Uh, they call it Chilean Atlantic salmon because the southern southern entrance into the Strait of Magellan, that's Chile. And that's, uh, you know, kind of going into the Atlantic Ocean, and that's why. But my question, which I have the answer to, is how many American citizens were alive and old enough to vote in 2020's election? because. If we believe the numbers, and they say follow the science, 81 million people voted for Biden, 74 million for Trump, and that's what, 150-something million people, and you'd have to have third graders voting that were citizens to get that many votes. I'm not saying there are legal votes, but the whole thing seems pretty fishy to me.
1: All right, Tom. Well, uh, you know, if it seems fishy to you, it's a good thing you know a thing or two about salmon and sea bass. Uh, So uh, there you have it. We want to definitely discourage people from calling and asking questions that they already know the answer to. Ideally, the idea behind this hour is to give you an opportunity to ask questions about something you are genuinely curious about. Right, uh, Frank? What was your third grade teacher's name? Right? Uh, are you boxers or briefs? Who would you, um, you know, who would you save on a if, if uh, you you could only save Ryan or uh, Matt Blaze? Right? I mean, interesting questions, thought provoking questions. You know, it's the idea behind the exercise is to cover a lot of topics in a short amount of time that make people think that make people scratch their head and that maybe they will ask the questions to their friends and their family um over the weekend right that it's not really an uh, just an excuse to use an interrogative device to talk about whatever you want to give a monologue about but so whatever uh it is what it is 808489 Two, two, two. We like out-of-the-box questions, different questions. Those are the kind of questions that win awards, right? Uh, So you can ask questions about anything, right? We have had Star Trek questions, JFK questions, pro uh, pro wrestling questions. If you need advice about a certain question, if you have questions about my personal history, whatever the case may be, now's the time to ask it. It's the most boring thing in the world. And you know what? It, It makes you sound a little snarky. If you call in and ask a question, hey, who's the only president to serve not two non-consecutive terms? Do you know? Because I know. I mean, it's it's annoying. Who was Abraham Lincoln's first vice president? Do you know? Because I know. It's, it's it's annoying. Ask something that you genuinely want to know the answer to. Right? 800-848-9222. four eight ninety two twenty two. We'll continue with your questions straight ahead.
0: It's the other side of midnight with Frank Murano.
1: singing Live to Tell, um, a great song about telling secrets and uh, a very appropriate day for that because uh, there was a big release of documents related to the Kennedy assassination that President Biden claimed they weren't going to be able to release because of COVID. Well, looks like they were able to release over 13,000 of them. We're going to get into that next hour. Uh, For now, for the next Nine minutes, we are answering your questions on any subject. We want creative questions. We want interesting questions. Try to keep these political questions to a minimum because, quite frankly, they're boring and they've all been asked. But if you have a different question, an out of the box question, something interesting, go ahead and call and ask. 800 848 9222. Greg is in Arizona. Hello, Greg. Hey, hi,
4: Frank. Uh, that was good to hear the CEO for Quirky.com again. I haven't heard him in a while. <laughs> It's true. Uh, can I can I give you a 20-second Dan Ingram story from when I was a kid, or do we got to go
6: straight to the question?
1: Well, I mean, I, I would prefer just because I'd like to. There's 10 people that want to get in with a question, and we only have seven oh. minutes left. So maybe yeah. you could call in later with that. We'll, we'll waive our one-caller-per-day rule.
4: Okay, uh, thanks. All right. Um, any on the conspiracy theory, is there any one or possibly two conspiracy theories that you think have any legs to them?
1: Well look I um a lot of people view the idea of U Uf- and thanks for the call Greg. A lot of people view the idea of um uh UFOs as a conspiracy theory, right? I think it's very likely that there have been extraterrestrial visits to this planet. Okay. Uh, if you want to consider that a conspiracy theory, I think that is very likely. I also happen to think that the Oswald acted alone theory when it comes to the Kennedy assassination doesn't hold water. So I think there, uh, I think the uh, possibility of a, a conspiracy to assassinate John F. Kennedy, I think that is very likely. I think there's a number of ones that have legs. You know, the CIA's MKUltra, that was thought of as a conspiracy theory until it was proven to be correct. So um, the con- these are just conspiracy theories until they're not. A lot of people think that um, the Saudi involvement in September 11th was a conspiracy theory. The more we're learning in uh, what Saudi Arabia did, the more less lo- like a conspiracy theory it's looking like to me, the more likely it seems to be. 800 Mike is in New Jersey. Hello, Mike.
7: Oh, hi, uh, Frank. Uh, simple question. Not that this would ever happen to me or maybe possibly you, but if you hit, like, a mega million, I always wondered how they paid you. Do
4: you get, like, 50 bank accounts? And what if you said to them, I want it in gold or I want it in $1,000 bills? I don't know.
1: Well, I, I, I don't you know? know, but I will ask uh, around. I'll research this. My understanding is that I always thought they gave you a check, and it was up to you to how you wanted to deposit it. But I don't think you could tell them you want to be paid in gold. I think uh, they have to be paid in uh, in currency, Mike, and, uh, you know, U.S. dollars. 800-848-9222. Judy, Judy, Judy in Manhattan. Hello, Judy. Uh,
4: yes, sir. Uh, um, My question is, do you think that the reports, uh, the recent reports of uh, carnivore attacks, um, say, like the Canadian lynx and coyote, And uh, the Mexican puma and bobcat and panther, could they possibly be coming from the Wildlands Project Network of connecting green areas and animal overpasses? And also the expanded uh, endangered species categories where they fail to... Remove when...
1: uh... Yeah, uh, Judy, I'll be honest. This is not something I know anything about. Everything that you just said, I'm hearing for the first time. So uh, I'm not a good person to ask. All right. I I see we have a lot of people asking questions about Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell I have to tell you, I'd rather gargle with battery acid than talk about Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi. I think it's the most boring thing in the world right now. So I'm just telling you, I'm not going to get to your question. If you want to call in about something different, you're welcome to. 800-848-9222. Robert is in Suffolk. Hello, Robert.
2: Hi, Frank. Hi. Did you ever have have halibut? And if so, what is it like? And where do you get it if you do buy it?
1: Well, uh, yes, I've had halibut many times. I love halibut. I get it in um I get it in restaurants but I, there's also a fish store near where I live and uh I think it's uh I think it's delicious. It kind of tastes uh, slightly sweet, um a little mild. It's a very mild fish so it's a very good um it takes on the flavor largely of whatever you put it in. It's a very gentle fishy taste. It has a firmer texture than cod, but it can be made so many different ways. That's why it's such a great fish to to cook and to eat, to eat. You can get it grilled. You can get it baked. You can get it slow roasted. You can get it pan seared. I love halibut. I actually want some right now. Uh, after uh, after that call, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let me say hello to uh, Tony in Florida. Hello, Tony.
7: Hey Frank. Hypothetical for your great analytical mind, you can answer tomorrow. You don't have to answer after you sleep on it. Sure. What if next week the border situation becomes unmanageable and vigilantes who think they are helping perceive the need to arm themselves and violently assault those coming to the borders? What response, if any, Might we expect from our illustrious
1: president? Well, you can expect, and not just from the president, but from local law enforcement and federal law enforcement, those people to be arrested and thrown in prison. It is illegal to assault people or to kill them, whether irrespective of their immigration status. Uh, You're not allowed. I don't know that I didn't really know that I had to say this. You are not permitted to assault or kill anyone. whether they're American or not. It's not as if someone's an illegal immigrant and you say, Oh, well, target practice time. No, of course not. I mean, it's a ridiculous question. The response is those people would be swiftly arrested and thrown in prison. 800 848 That's 800 2 open lines. If you want to call in with something interesting in the absence of something interesting, Gary has a Pelosi question. Hello, Gary. Good morning, Frank. Uh,
4: generally, uh Bothering me for a long time, when President Trump's
3: paperwork was ripped up by Nancy Pelosi, what do you think happened to that
1: paperwork? I, I imagine it was just thrown away, Gary. I mean, who cares? Well, you know, during the French Revolution, when they cut off all the heads of the royals, what happened to all the heads? I mean, I, I have no idea what happened to it. Who cares? it's torn up. What, what do you think? She patched it together. And, and sold it at auction to these the anti trump museum oh. Can't imagine why I avoid those Pelosi questions. Uh, Three open lines, 800-848-9222. All right, we're actually out of time. Hey, uh, Matt Blaze, you guys have a consensus on who came up with the best question?
13: That will be Marianne, Indiana. Marianne, Indiana. How many languages in Star Trek?
1: That's a good one. Okay. Uh, Marianne in Indiana, call back at 800-848-9222, and Ryan will take your information. We'll give you a prize. 800-848-9222. 800 848 This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll talk about the Kennedy assassination and a whole lot more next hour. Uh, my guest will be Larry Schnapp. He's been on this show before. He's the attorney that actually filed the lawsuit that has resulted in these releasing documents. Until next hour, keep asking questions.
0: This is
1: was a pretty interesting day. Those of us that are interested in the Kennedy assassination have been waiting for part of what happened yesterday to happen for about 30 years. See, what happened was, back in 1992, it was the, uh, 91 or 92, Oliver Stone produced, directed, and released a film called JFK, and the film, those of you who have seen this know dealt with Kevin Costner playing the former district attorney of New Orleans, Jim Garrison, real figure, real person uh, that uh, later became a judge. And to this day, Jim Garrison has brought the only criminal prosecution related to the Kennedy assassination. He prosecuted Clay Shaw. Not a successful prosecution. He was not convicted. But this movie developed a, this was before the internet was really a big thing. It developed a whole new generation of people curious about the Kennedy assassination and interested in learning in it, uh, learning about it. So president Clinton, in response to this said, all right, we are going to release the Kennedy documents, but we're not going to do it now. We're going to do it a couple of decades from now. President Trump comes into office and initially, he was all gung-ho about releasing these documents. He released a couple, but by and large, didn't release any. President Biden says, well, we would release them because, keep in mind, this is what a law passed by Congress and signed by the president says they have to do. Release these documents in the manner prescribed. We would release them, but it's too difficult because of covid And the pandemic. What? So a very interesting group called the Mary Farrell Foundation, they filed a lawsuit to get these documents released. Keep in mind, these are documents from around 1963, before, after, some, but sure, in that area. And repeatedly, the government said that the reason they weren't releasing them was because of national security. To me, that's absurd. It's an absurd excuse. So, yesterday, the National Archives released thousands of previously classified documents that were collected as part of the government review into the Kennedy assassination. I have not even scratched the surface of these documents. No one has, because many of these documents themselves are hundreds if not thousands of pages. You may remember from my interview uh, on this subject with Lamar Waldron two weeks ago. But this is the – this cache of over 13,000 documents is the second of two John F. Kennedy assassination-related document dumps that President Biden ordered last year. Uh, But in his executive order yesterday, this is what the White House said. The profound national tragedy of President Kennedy's assassination continues to resonate in American history and in the memories of so many Americans who were alive on that terrible day. Meanwhile, the need to protect records concerning the assassination has weakened with the passage of time. That's exactly right. But that was true four years ago when President Trump kept these documents from being released as well. It's therefore critical. This is, again, the White House statement. It's therefore critical to ensure That the United States government maximizes transparency by disclosing all information in records concerning the assassination, except when the strongest possible reasons counsel otherwise. Biden said in the memo that the National Archives and other agencies have until May of 2023 to review the remaining private documents. After that. Any information withheld from public discourse that agencies do not recommend or considered for postponement will be released before June 30th, 2023. Sounds positive. The um, researchers are cautioning that it's going to take days to go through these thousands of documents. And I may violate my no electronics rule on Saturday and do a whole dive into these documents tomorrow while my son is napping. But um There's a lot here. Um, There's a lot of information about the CIA and the FBI and operations that they were involved in in the 1960s. Larry Sabato, who's a brilliant man, who's now following me on Twitter, by the way, which most brilliant people do. If you want to be like Larry Sabato, you can um, you could do so and uh, follow me at Frank Moreno. He's the author of The Kennedy Half Century, The Presidency, Assassination, and Lasting Legacy of John F. Kennedy. He told CNN that while there may be some hidden gems throughout the document release, there won't be anything that changes what happened that day in 1963. It's not going to change the story. It's not, I guarantee you. I'll be honest, I tend to agree with him. I don't think in anything that was released yesterday or anything that will be released that there's a smoking gun. I don't think there's any document anywhere in the government's possession that says, oh, no, it wasn't John F. Kennedy. It was this person. It was Woody Harrelson's father or Ted Cruz's father. I don't think that document exists. What I think these documents will show is that... The CIA and the FBI were both very aware of who Oswald was and were monitoring him. And I think it's going to show potentially criminal malfeasance on the part of those two agencies in terms of a failure to protect the president and some other things. So uh, I don't think there will be a smoking gun here, but um, I'm eager to see what is here. So. Um, very interesting. Uh, K- Tucker Carlson was on the Fox News channel last night, and he has, I believe, the most watched, not I believe, it's a fact, he has the most watched show in cable news. He had some very interesting things to say about the CIA and the Kennedy assassination. We spoke to someone who had access to these still-hidden CIA documents, a
8: person who was deeply familiar with what they contained. We asked this person directly, did the CIA have a hand in the murder of John F. Kennedy, an American president? And here's the reply we received verbatim. Quote, the answer is yes. I believe they were involved. It's a whole different country from what we thought it was. It's all
1: fake. I don't know uh, who Tucker Carlson's source is there, but um, that's pretty interesting. What they're claiming, whoever his source is is claiming, and they had uh, uh, access to these unredacted documents prior to their release, what they're claiming is that um, the CIA was involved here. Now, if that's the case, that is groundbreaking. I can absolutely believe that. I think, and there's a lot of people that have speculated as to why. Uh, Some, including... um, Ray um, Ray McGovern, a who served with the CIA for 30 years, been a guest on the show. Ray McGovern has suggested that it had to do with peace with Russia. He said that the security state, the deep state, whatever you want to characterize it as the national security apparatus was never going to allow that to occur. Other people have other theories, but uh, I'm eager to see what is in these documents and what they tell us about what these intelligence agencies were doing. We're going to get into this with Larry Schnopf in just a bit. And when I asked Larry to come on yesterday, he was initially reluctant to do so. He says, look, I haven't delved that closely into these documents yet. It's going to take me days to see what these documents actually say. But maybe I can give you an overview if you want. I said, that's great. Give us an overview. Uh, Because he is a smart guy and he's been one of the guys that has been fighting the good fight in terms of getting – these documents released. Uh, Let me say hello to Xavier over at Billy Marks West, a great neighborhood tavern here in Manhattan. Hello, Xavier.
9: Hey, Frank, how you doing? Good to hear your voice. Great job with the Tunnels for Towers this afternoon.
1: Thank you. Thanks very much.
9: Kennedy was killed for a myriad of reasons. And it was all about, number one, the Civil Rights Act, the Vietnam War being uh, he wanted to take people out of Vietnam, and it was about Carlos Marcelo, who was the mafia kingpin of Louisiana, who Bobby Kennedy thoroughly embarrassed. And Carlos Marcelo said the only way to kill a snake is to cut the head off, because he knew when he be- when they got rid of Kennedy that LBJ would not retain Bobby Kennedy as Attorney General. I read. Tons and tons about this. I'm cleaning up the ball. My staff are cleaning up. They're actually laughing at me now. But Kennedy was killed for civil rights. He didn't want to build up the Vietnam War. And Marcello, who was the kingpin, wanted him done. So he killed. He didn't kill him. He didn't kill Bobby Kennedy. He killed the brother. And the CIA was also embarrassed by Kennedy's lack of air strike
1: during the Bay of Pigs invasion. Well, uh, Xavier, I don't know that uh, these documents are going to tell us whether what you're saying is right or wrong, but I've heard a lot of very credible people that say that. Mark Shaw, who's been a, very, uh, a regular guest on this show, he said similar things about the Marcello angle of it. I, I can buy into it. Um, but uh, we'll see. You know, what we will see in these documents is apparently some information about Lee Harvey Oswald's trip to Mexico City, right? Why is that significant? It's significant for a few reasons. It happened a few weeks prior to the Kennedy assassination. These documents also apparently may include some information about Oswald's trip to Finland in 1959. What else happened in 1959? Well, that was the year, remember, that Oswald defected to the Soviet Union. And uh these documents apparently also contain images of his Cuban visa application, and there was this covert government campaign to rid Cuba of Fidel Castro. It's called Operation Mongoose. There's apparently some documents related to Operation Mongoose here. Are those related? The Oswald trip to Mexico City right before the Kennedy assassination. The trip to Finland the same year he defected to the USSR. The documents related to the government's attempts to kill Fidel Castro. I don't know. Um, some of these documents had been previously released before. Now, evidently, they've been released with, uh, with fewer redactions. So I don't know uh, what this is actually going to shed light on, but I am interested to read them. Eight hundred eight 848 9222 we're going to get into this with larry Schnopf in uh, in about uh, about 10 minutes but this is uh, was one quick thing that i wanted to bring to your attention there was a, a story and i love stories about improving your productivity i love stories about leadership i love stories about wellness and so whenever there's an opportunity to look at all of those that's right up my alley so i came across this story All about the incredible power of what they call micro-breaks. Micro-breaks. There's nothing to do with the Kennedy assassination. In fact, if you're going to be like me this weekend and dive into a thorough reading of these documents over the weekend, these micro-breaks may help you get the most out of it. Uh, Evidently, as people, we underestimate the effect of small and intentional breaks on our well-being. When we've been working at something for a while— our minds start to wander. Doesn't that happen with you? It happens with me. That's when a well-timed and well-planned break can get us back on track and actually boost productivity. You know, it's funny. I'm going to get back to what this study says, but I have read a lot of work from professional gamblers, mostly blackjack players, but um, uh, some of them I've actually interviewed on the radio. But one of the things they all say the uh, the importance if you're playing blackjack for hours five six seven eight nine hours straight, the, one of the best things that you can do to make sure that you can keep playing and have a shot at winning, beyond card counting, beyond knowing basic strategy, beyond strategic betting formulas, one of the best things that you can do is take a break. Is you have to take regular breaks. And what they say is something similar to what these researchers at university of Illinois are saying is that it refocuses you. So they say, you know, if you're playing for five, six, seven hours, even if you're winning, you got to get up, go to the bathroom. You got to get up, walk around. If you smoke a cigarette, smoke cigarettes, go out and have a cigarette, maybe go and grab a snack. It's so important. It kind of refreshes you sort of like our uh, segment on naps yesterday. But In this one study, the researchers at the University of Illinois asked participants to perform a 50-minute task on computers. One group had to work without stopping, and another group got two short breaks. Sure enough, the group that worked nonstop saw performance decline by the end, while the group that paused did not. So here are some tips from the pros for planning breaks based on research. One, make sure it's a real break. The most effective breaks are unrelated to work. That means pausing work to catch up on a few emails doesn't have the same benefit as stopping to take a short walk and get some air. Two, time yourself. Micro breaks, that lasts 10 minutes at most. Those work best when it comes to refocusing yourself on the task at hand. If you go much longer than 10 minutes, you lose momentum. Longer breaks, 15 or 20 minutes, can be important to fully refresh after a long work session. Three, pay better attention. Short breaks are especially helpful when you're doing something repetitive or tedious. I found this to be the case. You know, one of the things that I've done at different points in my career, and I still do this sometimes, is transcribe things. I'd work on a project, a film project, radio project, whatever the case may be, and you end up having to transcribe things. That can be so tedious and so monotonous to have to transcribe a whole long interview. Creative work doesn't benefit as much from these kinds of pauses. Uh, So you want to use breaks to boost your mental and physical health no matter what you're doing. And if you're a manager, encourage your employees to take smart breaks. In the long run, uh, the research suggests they will be more engaged and more creative. 800-848-9222. Uh, all right, Ron is in Michigan. Hello, Ron.
7: Good morning, Frank. Frank, j- did you ever read the book uh, Hollywood Godfather?
3: I think his uh, name is Russo and his role in the uh, Kennedy assassination. He He's yeah. the uh, courier.
1: Yeah, not only have I read the book, but I did a series of 12 one-hour interviews with Johnny Russo about the book.
3: Very, very cool. I missed those. But, uh, yeah, I think he's a very believable character.
1: Um, If you email me, I'll send you the the interviews. Uh, Thanks, Ron. It was just Johnny Russo's birthday the other day. He's ticked off at us or something. I don't know why he hasn't come back on the show. I think he's a great radio guest, one of the great radio guests of all time. I like him very much. And I think he's a great storyteller. And that book is phenomenal. I actually listen to his podcast as well. His podcast is great. However, I part company with you a little bit, Ron, in saying that he's a very believable character. There's no question there's a lot of truth to what Johnny says, not just about the Kennedy assassination, but the Godfather and other things. However, I don't think any human being can do all of the things that Johnny Russo has claimed to do in life. Now, I don't care. I love it. I think it's very interesting radio and very compelling. And he's welcome on this show anytime. I have some questions, honestly, about his role in in the Kennedy assassination. I, um, But everyone who can dispute what he's saying is dead. So there's no way to disprove what he's saying. So uh, it's an interesting read. But I don't know about that. All right, we're going to get into this with Larry Schnapp in just a bit. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
0: It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Frank Marano. Calling <laughs> Mr. Ozzel with the swastika. Had a number that maybe you'll take him to bed too
1: Uh, we are uh, trying to get a hold of Larry Schnapp to uh, help break down some of these John F. Kennedy assassination documents. Meantime, if you want to call in and be heard on anything we've covered thus far, you're welcome to 800-848-9222. One quick uh, thing I wanted to bring to your attention. I love anything having to do with Guinness World Records. I was a former Guinness World Record holder myself, and it's a great thing. It's a great way of uh, overcoming a personal challenge. It's a great way about of uh, getting exposure for a person or an entity or a cause or an organization. So I came across this article about the most odd Guinness World Records of the year 2022. We're going to get into that uh, a little bit later, but I actually believe that we have On the line, uh, a guy that has been a warrior on the subject of document disclosure, a guy who is a, a terrific attorney, and it's funny, I have done over the course of the last two years on this program and really over the course of the last 11 years on the radio, I've done a lot of interviews with respect to the Kennedy assassination, and I don't think I've ever gotten the kind of response that I have In talking with Larry Schnapp, he is an attorney who had filed a federal lawsuit against President Biden and the National Archive demanding the release of all the still classified assassination documents. He is the first person that I reached out to when at least some of these documents were made public. Larry, I know uh, you've had a long day already, and I'm sure you have a long weekend ahead of you of reading, researching and analyzing. I appreciate you making a few minutes for us. Thanks a lot. This is an important topic, Larry. Um, based on what you can tell as of now, what exactly has uh, what exactly have the National Archives released?
8: Well, they they released um, thirteen thousand documents that were, as far as we can tell, had already been released but were more redacted than they are now. Um, for example, there was a couple of articles in the press earlier this morning, or earlier uh, Thursday morning about this communications about Oswald in Mexico City and that this provided evidence that perhaps the CIA had bungled uh, knowledge of Oswald that uh, could have prevented the assassination. And the only thing that really was new um, was that um, there was a piece in that document that it indicated that the president of Mexico had approved uh, the CIA putting wire wiretaps on telephones in the embassies. So, so
1: it's not nece- it's not uh, it's th- at least that document. The newly unredacted portions of it they're not they're not incredibly revelatory, and it really makes you wonder why they were redacted in the first place. Um, well, you know this goes
8: partially to the overall problem we have of overclassification in this country with documents. Um, and you know, the CIA just, uh, doesn't want to let things go. And, and they claim that they're trying to protect methods and sources. And the idea that we're still using methods and sources from 60 years ago is kind of laughable. Um, so they just don't want to release the documents. And, um, What they're releasing are bits and lines of information. Um, And the the fact of the matter is the important documents are not in the JFK collection. They were never given to the collection. When the Records Review Board was doing its work, um, the CIA and the FBI basically ran the clock out on them. And when the ARB went out of business, the ARB is the Assassinations Records Review Board. That's the board that was established by uh congress to to try to collect all the assassination related records that were in the government and in private collections well when they, fin- they they were term limited but when they went out of the business their work wasn't done and they had a whole bunch of outstanding search requests um that for additional records and one of the important batches that they're trying to get were the uh, george doanides files George Joannides, and I know you know this story, uh, he was the case manager for this Cuban exile group called DRE in, in New Orleans who had the confrontation with Oswald in New Orleans that mysteriously managed to be televised or taped. Um, those records are not part of the JFK collection, and we think that those records would show that the, the CIA had an operational interest in Oswald. And those are not part of the collection. There's other records are not part of the collection. And the National Archives, since 98, never actually went, followed up on those outstanding requests. So that's one of the why we filed a lawsuit. One was to get the president to comply with the law. And number two, to get these additional searches done. By the way, um, the president still did not comply with the law today. The law requires that for the president to certify that a document can be withheld, he has to identify the harm that is posed by the release of the information in the document and has to explain how the harm the gravity of that harm is so great that it outweighs the public interest and all he did again was let the CIA you know postpone another three thousand records um, and supposedly they're going to go through a process another dance in May and June um. Of next year but it's the same dance that they just did this time uh, the CIA actually I think because of the lawsuit the CIA actually today had a press conference um, three CIA representatives spoke to four reporters specially invited reporters Who were they from the New York Times the Washington Post and NBC and of course if you look at the New York Times and Washington Post articles they are basically touting this, the the CIA position that mm-hmm. um, there's nothing really here that we're hiding. Um, it's just methods and sources, and there's nothing to do about the assassination. So, um, yeah.
1: No, no, I was just going to ask. Uh, so what, at this point, is the status of your lawsuit, and what's the next step with what you're doing legally in light of what, what's been released, what's been redacted, and what's still – being withheld
8: well we asked for a number of reliefs uh one of this is for the president to maximize the release of the documents we want to have another uh we want these searches to be completed and we want a new search to be to be done um the government has to answer our complaint i i think they have till the end of the month to do so and uh you know we'll we'll take it from there um can't get too much into legal strategy um what i really would like to see Um, I did try to get I had I had gotten a whole bunch of historians and researchers and lawyers and and open government types to sign a letter. I think I mentioned this to you last time um, to Carolyn Maloney, who was the chair, the outgoing chair of the Oversight Committee in the House. Uh, The Oversight Committee has the um, continuing responsibility of. Uh, determining if the you know how, to evaluating how the JFK Act is being implemented well they haven't had any oversight hearings since 1994 so I wrote we had I sent this letter to her um, I was working with her staff in September to try to get some oversight but I think they didn't want to have a hearing that could p- potentially embarrass the president before the midterm elections well now we have the Republicans taking over control of Congress And I'm hoping to try to push the new chair of the Oversight Committee um, to hold a hearing because not only to force the CIA to testify in open hearing as to why they are, you know, continuing to hold back these records, but there are some things that um, we could do with the statute. For example, there are Oswald's tax returns that have not been released, hmm. um, there was at the last minute a little provision was inserted into the JFK Records Act. It says that it supersedes all of the New York United States laws except this particular tax law. And um, that prevents us from seeing Oswald's tax returns and tax information and W-2s or whatever he got from his employees. Um, those should be released at this point in time. Um, There are um, records that were sealed by a court in connection with the sting operation with Carlos Marcello, where he allegedly, while he was in jail, there was this FBI informant uh, as his cellmate. He allegedly confessed to killing, uh, planning the, the assassination of the president. Those tapes have not been released. They should be unsealed. Another interesting incident um, that I just learned about about a few weeks ago from actually from ju- Justice from Judge Tunheim. He is currently a district court judge, uh, federal district court judge in Minnesota. He was the chair of the um, uh, ARB, and he told me that um, they tried to get Walter Sheridan's records. Now Walter Sheridan was the right hand man of Robert Kennedy. Those records were. In the JFK Library, when they asked him for these records, he drove up to the JFK Library, grabbed the records, then drove down to New York City and handed them to NBC. He had apparently had done some work for NBC during the Jim Garrison trial mm. that was the which was the you know the subject of the JFK movie. Well, NBC refused to turn them over, and to this day they still haven't turned them over, so nBC is as as, as complicit as the government is, in hiding the truth from the American people. Wow. So we want that to be exposed.
1: Wow. Um, Well, you alluded to and people just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Larry Schnapp. He's uh, done some great work on this. Uh, He has filed a federal lawsuit to compel uh, the release of a lot of these uh, documents. You alluded to this trip to Mexico City, and uh, a lot of these documents do apparently deal with that Mexico City trip uh, just a few weeks before the assassination why is that significant or why is that possibly significant for people that are interested in this stuff? Why should we care or be interested in the Oswald trip to Mexico? Well, Oswald um,
8: allegedly went to Mexico um, to get a visa to go into Cuba. Um, In the process of doing that, he went to the Russian embassy embassy and reportedly spoke to a person that was, Uh, In the KGB, that was also the head of the unit that does um, assassinations. And uh, so there was one theory that, you know, that the Russians were behind it. um, And this was another way of showing that he was, uh, you know, uh, a pro Castro supporter. Now, there were some tapes that allegedly Oswald's voice was caught on. And the part of this whole process, this this record I was telling you about, is they apparently the um, they Hoover told LBJ and the then CIA director McCoy that the voice on the tapes were not was not those of Oswald, um, that somebody was impersonating him, that um, the person that was speaking on the telephone had spoke very poor Russian, which you know Oswald did not speak poor Russian. So, you know, was there an imposter there? Um, was the CIA following him? You know, did they have an interest in him? So these are the kind of questions that come up. Now what we learned recently um is that the ARB had learned that as a quid pro quo for the president of Mexico to sign off on letting us do this wiretapping Was that the Mexican government, their equivalent of the FBI, would get tapes, copies of all the tapes that were recorded. Now, our CIA told the Warren Commission that they routinely destroyed their tapes after two weeks. But the ARB thought that there was a really good chance that the Mexican government still had these tapes. And so we could actually hear is this really Oswald's voice or not? Or is he being impersonated? Well, um, Judge Tunheim told us that when he tried to get those tapes, the State Department um basically interfered, just like Judge Tunheim, um as chair of the ARb, uh, lined up an interview with Castro. He was going to talk to Castro about what Castro knew. And at the last minute, apparently Jesse Helms, who was the chair of some Senate committee that had something to do with government operations. Basically, acts that instead, there's no way any American representative is going to talk to, to Castro. So these are just some examples, you know, of how our own government has been interfering with this investigation.
10: Wow. I mean, it goes
8: back, you know, the Warren Commission. We learned um, Bella Abzug had this is a, a long lost hearing to wreck to history in 1975. Bella Absock had a hearing where their committee, her committee, concluded that the Warren Commission never had the authority to classify its records, that um, the the general counsel just went ahead and classified them with no authority. And that was basically to protect um, the executive sessions where they were talking about, you know, is when they got the rumor that Oswald might have been, you know, some sort of informant for the FBI. Um, So this is just, you know, this this is why we need um, I would like to have an oversight hearing because all this stuff has to come out. The American people need to see how their own government is preventing the citizens from hearing mm. the true story.
1: You alluded to the uh, situation involving George Joannidis. Uh, he actually served as the CIA's liaison to the congressional committee that reinvestigated the Kennedy assassination in the 1970s, after the Warren Commission. A lot of people, even in the late 60s, early 70s, were not satisfied with the Warren Commission's conclusion. And because of that, Congress did its own investigation, and George Joannides was the person that the CIA, that was the liaison, essentially. After that, a lot of the House staff said they were outraged to learn afterwards that Joannides had a very big conflict of interest because he actually led the spying operations during the Kennedy administration in Cuba. Now, how could the CIA not have disclosed that to Congress? I mean, you talk about a government within a government. That's what that seems to look like.
8: So this is one of the documents that got a little more released today that it was already known. And not only um, was the... The staff frustrated. Joe Needy's got an outstanding uh, award from the CIA for his performance. And when you look at the document, it says how he was able to manage the young staffers uh, of the House Select Assassinations Committee. They actually asked him, do you know who this case manager was for the DRE? Remember, he's the guy that was the case manager. And he said to them, I'll, I'll look into it. <laughs> so, I mean, he he lied. He, he he They selected him because they took him out of retirement to be the liaison. And he was the guy that was basically preventing them from finding where the bodies are
2: buried.
1: One of the other things – oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask. One of the other things that people were sort of champing at the bit to get more information about – Was Oswald's personality file from the military? I know portions of it were made public years ago, but a lot of it has been uh, kept secret. Do we have any idea why portions of this personality file were kept secret? And do we know if part of this document release included any more information on that? Um,
8: His personality file is about 50,000 pages. 50,000 pages. yeah, a, wow. a great amount of it was released. I think a few more documents were released today. But, you know, again, when they say they're releasing, they're redacting information in a document. So there could be a line of text that was redacted and they unredacted, but the rest of the document re- remains redacted. So they're saying we're releasing this document. They're releasing some information. So we're, we're trying to actually figure out exactly how many pages were released. And is there any anything significant in there? Here's another example. I, I don't know if I mentioned this last time. So when the Warren Commission is trying to understand what did the CIA know about Oswald when he was in Russia, um, they had Richard Helms, who was then the assistant director, um, and McCone, who was the director, uh, testifying. And guess who was taking their testimony? Richard, uh, Alan Dulles. Alan Dulles was asking them questions about events that happened during his watch when he was running the CIA, and he was giving them leading questions. For example, he would say, um, what, what, did, um, what did you know about Oswald? And, and Helms would say, well, minimal. And he would say, well, and whatever you knew, the State Department would have had the responsibility to tell you, right? And, and so, like, he was giving them leading questions. Never, only in, like, Seinfeld Bazaar world, <laughs> would you have the CIA director, former director, deposing someone about facts that occurred on his watch, the questioner's watch. But this is how Dulles's role was to control the information. The very first day that the Warren Commission got together, you probably, I think you know this, Dulles came into the executive session with the book and the book was about how the history of assassination in America and the book concluded that assassinations in America are always done by, by lone gunmen. <laughs> so it was already like planting the seed that, you know what, this is where we're going.
1: It, it, that's uh, wild talking with Larry Schnapp. Larry, uh, a lot of analysts quoted in the media in the last uh, 24 hours have said that these documents, what's been released, redacted as they might be, that there are no smoking guns here and there's nothing that's going to move the needle significantly in terms of uh, a new credible theory that the public will accept about what happened. Uh, Based on what you've seen thus far and heard and read, is that something that you agree with?
3: Well, first of all, the public
8: believes, the majority of public still believes that the the president was killed by a plot um, that involved more than one person. Um, I do, the, the people that would have been involved in that plot, they could have ranged from the mafia or maybe rogue elements of the CIA. Those people don't put things in writing. So I don't expect to see... A smoking gun saying here's how we are going to kill the president. We probably we probably could learn more about Oswald associations, um, who he was, was, was somebody running him, uh, you know. And when you say an operational interest, that could range from surveilling somebody, or actually having them as as an asset and running them. And you know, it's very curious that. Oswald, if you look at Oswald's friends, many of his friends were conservative. Um, even though you know, he was a communist. Even though he was allegedly a communist. And, you know, it looks like he was a spy wannabe. Um, you know, his favorite show when he was growing up was I Led Three Lives or something like that. And, um, you know, he. you can go into whole thing about Oswald. But, but, you know, he goes – in fact, one of the records today that was released – um, they're talking more they're a little more detail about it. We knew these facts, but some of the other elements were not in there about, you know, how did Oswald get into Russia? Mm. Um, he 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 has limited amount of money and he stays at these high end hotels in Helsinki. He flies to Helsinki. Um, he gets a visa in two days. And the and the Warren Commission was struggling because they were getting information from the State Department that, It's impossible to get a visa in two days. How do you get a visa in two days to get into Russia? It had to be something, you know, special. And so, you know, the thinking is that maybe Oswald was was part of this fake defector program to see what would happen um, when someone, you know, defects to Russia. By the way, we know Judge Tunheim told us that there are five feet of KGB files sitting in Minsk. that they represent the KGB apparently monitored Oswald every day. Wow. He, they had people at his workplace. And um, Minsk is in Belarus. And, um, you know, those are records that right now presumably I guess it's going to be hard to get because the, the it's leader of right. Belarus is, you know, is tight with Putin. But if that government falls, there's a five-foot stack of records that could tell us a lot more about Oswald in Russia.
1: Interesting. Um, I get, yeah. you know, uh I know you're. Uh, you scheduled a press conference today. What are you planning to g- give us a preview of what we can look forward to hearing from you at this press conference?
2: Well, I, the the Mary Farrell
8: uh, people have a rapid response team, so they're, you know, they're they're the experts in the documents, um, and um, so they're you know spending the night kind of drilling down. You know, we, we basically triage. Documents. The, obviously, the first tranche uh, tr- um, was. Are any of the Joe and Edie's documents released? And they weren't. So, or maybe one was. But uh, so that's one problem. And then now they're now they're they're tran. What we have to do, and the way that you know, it's so frustrating because they don't show you like a red line. So you have to like, um, and what happens? There are some documents. Now this is interesting. Some documents released today were never indicated to be in the JFK collection. So there are a bunch of documents from the NSA. If you look at, uh, when you go to the National Archives JFK collection website, they have a six-part spreadsheet that represents all the documents in the collection, right? So, and they have record numbers attached to them, identifier numbers. So today about, I think it was 26 documents, some, a bunch of NSA documents were released, but they never were in the collection before. So how could you release something that wasn't in the collection? Mm. <laughs> it just shows you that, that I have a When I did my foyer, my foyer uh, lawsuit, and uh, last year, and we set the government settled and started producing records. There, I have emails from the archivist saying the the spreadsheets are driving us batty. They just don't know what's there. They don't know how many pages they have. Um, you know, they have an estimate of how many documents, but. Today we were getting different num different numbers as to how many documents are actually in the collection. So it- it's just um, this is not a very transparent
1: process. Oh, clearly, um, uh, and uh, Larry, you've been very generous with your time, and uh, I'm going to let you get a little bit of sleep. Two final questions I have to ask you. Yeah. One, as you as as it stands now. How many documents do you believe the government is withholding that is not in compliance with this 1992 law? How many documents do you believe there are that should be released if the government was complying with the law?
8: Well, um, we know they're holding back 3,000, but I think a lot of the documents released today are still redacted. Um, so they, they're not released in whole and we don't know how many, you know, we're still trying to figure out how many documents released, but any document, um, I would, I would venture to say that, um, any document that has redactions in it, and we don't know how many that is right now, um, we're not released in compliance with the law because every redaction, there has to be a justification on the document by document basis. And that was not done.
1: Finally. Uh, This is probably an impossible question to answer because I realize so much of your mission involves trying to get information that is being withheld. But there have been so many theories about who was responsible for the broader conspiracy to kill the president. Some people have said it's the mob, including Carlos Marcello. Other people, and I know Tucker Carlson ran with this on Fox News yesterday, have indicated it was the CIA. Other folks said that it was Cuba. Other folks said it was the Soviet Union. Some folks said that it was some combination – uh, some folks have said it was Woody Harrelson's father or Ted Cruz's father. Ba- based on your belief, what do you think is the most likely scenario of who was responsible? Well, with the understanding
8: that it sometimes is difficult to figure out where the exile slash rogue CIA slash mafia ends and begins, I believe the real story, and I believe the story that explains why the Kennedy family is still not releasing their own records um, is that the mafia, Carlos Marcello was behind the assassination. And here's my thesis. Um, The old man, Joe Kennedy, we now know from John Davis, who wrote several books on Carlos Marcello, that the old man had two contracts out on him that were because he had violated some of the mafia rules when he was running booze during Mm -hmm. prohibition and later on. And he went to Sam Giocana in Chicago to beg to have the contract released. And as part of that deal, he said, "My boy's going to run for president. You'll have a friend in the White House." So, um, obviously, they did not have a friend in the White right, House, right? Clearly, right. And and um, it looks like you know. And the, what's the one of the first things Bobby did, April fourth, nineteen sixty one. Even before the Bay of Pigs, he deports Carlos Marcelo to Guatemala mm-hmm. City,
11: mm-hmm.
8: right? And he has to walk back through the jungle to get himself back to the U.S., <laughs> right? And then, you know, obviously they continue pursuing him. We we now know that the mafia was bugging um, Peter Lawford's beach house and Marilyn Monroe's home. And I think what they were trying to do in 1962 was to sort of like uh, get something to compromise the Kennedy boys, mm-hmm. And when Marilyn Monroe died, um, they had tapes of they could hear, you know, the usual noises when people make have sex. Um, but Bobby Kennedy had the FBI grab all of the phone records um, from the LA. I think it was General Telephone.
1: Let, let, on so that think, note, Larry, I got to run. Uh, way late okay. here. I appreciate the the time and uh, thanks for the great work you're doing on this. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Your calls next eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 straight ahead.
0: It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano.
4: My wife says to me,
3: Let's not drive the old coupé. Hitch up once again, the one horse open sleigh. The horse
8: was awful mad, if he could talk, he'd say.
4: You'll be sorry, you hitched me to a one horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingling all the way. It ain't fun like it used to be in
8: a one horse open sleigh. A jingle bells, a jingle
3: bells, a jingling all the way. I should have worn
1: long underwear in that one heart's open sleigh. Jingle bells uh, by the great uh, Yogi Jorgensen. Uh, not his real name. This is a novelty song. Uh, this is right on at the top of the list of songs you probably couldn't release today. It's terrific. It is absolutely Terrific. I love it. All right. Uh, Fascinating conversation with Larry Schnapp. Uh, And a lot of people were talking at him today, and I appreciate him uh, making some time for us. Um, It seems like a lot of these documents are bringing about more questions than answers. But if you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you can. 800-848-9222. Coming up, we got denunciations and... Valerie small a radio legend, a woman with a velvet voice. She is going to be here, and um, a lot of other things from between now and the time I go to bed. Until then, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population, get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is the other side of midnight as we sit here now, stand here, depending on the circumstance. We are, I believe, just about six days away from Festivus. We're going to do a whole Festivus show, including an airing of grievances. But you remember how the airing of grievances begins. It's with the announcement from Frank Costanza announcing that he's got a lot of problems with you people. That is the case with everybody on this week's – by the way, just a quick anecdote here, quick aside. Um, You know, I have three siblings, Nicholas, Alexander, and Claudia, and I love them all dearly. But we uh, started a tradition when I got married three years ago that we would all go out to dinner, just the four of us, right before all of us got married. You know, whoever was getting married, right? So we started this tradition three years ago of having an airing of grievances at the dinner. And this is the most entertaining part of the dinner by far. And sometimes this gets very personal. The four of us just go in a circle complaining about one another. And these complaints are very sincere, for the most part, and (laughs) they can hit pretty close to home. So we did that. Um, why we would continue this tradition is beyond me. I, I think it's because as different as the four of us are, we're all kind of a collective glutton for punishment. And we also have a, uh, a we have both a sadistic side and a masochistic side in that we want to uh, see how other people are reacting to the things that we say. But so when my brother Nick got married, we did the same thing. We continued that airing of grievances and uh just be cautious if you're thinking about having a festivus celebration full with the pole with the uh, airing of grievances and the feats of strength just be aware that uh this can get pretty hairy from time to time we uh we did do uh feats of strength last year that was a lot of fun uh and some other things so we, we'll work on planning some fun stuff for festivus next week But until then, I've got a lot of problems with everybody that is on this week's receiving end of...
0: The Other Side of Midnight presents denunciation.
1: Let me begin with the president of Liberia, George Way. Who is this guy kidding? Liberia is a great country, and um, its history is inexorably tied with America, right? You, You know the you know what where how liberia got started you you remember the president james monroe there was a there was a movement in the 18 in the early part of the 19th century there was a movement to just send freed slaves back to africa we don't want these people here just get rid of them just we'll free them we'll send them back to africa we won't have to deal with them they'll have freedom they won't be slaves and they'll go back to africa well The United States did that under President Monroe. They shipped a whole bunch of freed slaves back to Africa and they formed a country named Liberia because of, you know, Liberia and freedom and liberty. And that was what this country was supposed to be a celebration of freedom and liberty. It's why it's called Liberia. In fact, you know what their capital is called? It's called Monrovia. It's named for James Monroe. The president that got Liberia started. That's why, if I'm not mistaken, if you look at the Liberian flag, it is identical to the American flag, with the exception being there's one star instead of 50. So we have a long history of uh, a, a friendship and a relationship with Liberia. In fact, I think, and I'm not joking about this, this is going to sound like shtick and the kind of thing that I do joke about, but I'm not. I think a, a, a few years ago, the former president... And chief justice of the Liberian Supreme Court, former president of Liberia and the former chief justice of Liberia, they, he was living in a housing project on Staten Island a few years ago. I think, I think he's since died. But George Way is the president of Liberia. This guy used to be a big soccer star. I don't know who this guy is kidding. George Way went abroad. He left Liberia at the end of October. ...for a string of political gatherings in numerous countries. And then he jetted off to uh, Qatar or Qatar or Qatar... ...to watch his son represent the United States at the World Cup. And then he goes to the United States for the summit on African things. The guy has not been to Liberia since late October. Meantime, Liberia is in crisis... They're they're battling soaring prices on everything. There's shortages of basic goods. It's chaos over there and the president is nowhere to be found. He's watching soccer games in the Middle East. You talk about a guy that appears totally disinterested and is sending the message to not only his own people but the rest of the world that he doesn't care at all about what's going on in Liberia. Now, he's justifying this. He's saying it's essential that he goes to all these international conferences. How about you show up? You know what this reminds me of? You remember when we had that bad snowstorm in um, either 2009 or 2010? And Mike Bloomberg was in Bermuda for the weekend while the rest of us were waiting for buses to show up in the snow. Um, Imagine if Bloomberg did that not for one weekend, but for three months. That's what this guy is doing. It looks bad. It's a bad look, George Way. And I do denounce you. I must also denounce the governor of the state of New York, Kathy Hochul. I try not to denounce people for their political positions unless it's just so egregious that I just can't deal. Right. This is the case with Kathy Hochul. Governor Kathy Hochul has signed a bill passed by the state legislature banning the name of banning the name independent or independence from being part of the name of a qualified party. Now, I think this is a tremendous abridgment of free speech. If I want to form a political party and call it the Independent Party or the Independent Republican Party or the Independent Communist Party or the Vegetarian Independence Party, whatever, I should be able to. And this is a tremendous infringement on free speech rights. But here's what's worse about it. The legislation that she signed... It allows you, if you're running for mayor, as Curtis Lewa did, uh, we created a party for him called the Independent Party. And we created petitions, and he ran Republican Independent. It still allows you to do that. So either we're saying that having the word independent on the ballot is so confusing to voters, they just can't fathom how to deal with this. Or we're not. Uh, They're saying... Essentially, you can't have a party that's called Independent Party, but you can still run candidates under the label of Independent Party for other offices. It makes no sense. You can have an unqualified party called Independent, but not a qualified party. This makes absolutely no sense. And Governor Hochul owes the people of the state of New York an explanation. And, you know, I was involved in the leadership of the Independence Party in New York State for many years. And we have a very rich history. And now if we wanted to try and reform the Independence Party, as Lee Zeldin tried to do uh, this year, we wouldn't be able to as a qualified party. And it's really a smack in the face to Tom galassano and to uh, everybody that worked so hard. Frank McKay, Jack essenberg uh, Mike Bloomberg, everybody that worked so hard to uh, build the Independence Party over the years. Now we can't even have that name. It's not right. And if it is right, it should be consistent across the board. You know, if you want to run for um, office in New York, you can't have the name American in your party name. You can't have the name Empire in your party name. OK, fine. That's a fundamental rule across the board. But now it's like a Chinese menu. You can have it for unqualified parties, independent, but not qualified. Come on. this makes no sense. By the way, you, if they're worried about confusing voters, you can still have a party called the unaffiliated party as a qualified party. Don't, think you, don't you think that would be confusing the voters? This is so non, it's just so stupid. It, it, it's suggesting to the voters that they're so dumb that they can be fooled into checking the wrong box, and it's annoying. I want to denounce Amy Brogdon Anderson. This is a Mississippi woman. A 43-year-old mom and veterinarian who shot to death two police officers in a hotel parking lot. And um, she did so. She pulled the trigger in front of her young daughter. So she opened fire while sitting with her 10-year-old daughter in her SUV outside a Motel 6 after police called Child Protective Services. This is a woman who had no criminal history. And was reportedly well-liked in the community. And she spent 30 minutes talking to these two police officers before flipping out and shooting them to death. I uh, was really so moved at listening to, at doing this interview that we did, Sid Rosenberg and me, yesterday. With the daughter of Detective Familia, Genesis. And to hear someone tell a story of becoming an orphan... Just because their parent was assassinated because of the job they do or the uniform they wear. It's 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 such a nightmare, and it makes me want to vomit. And to think that this woman actually spent time talking to cops for a half hour before flipping out and killing them is beyond anything I can comprehend. I'm sure she's got severe mental illness, but uh, that's not going to save her from a denunciation. So... Uh, Amy Brogdon Anderson, I do denounce you. I must also denounce fast food. The brain health experts agree. Fast food is the number one worst food you can eat, not just for your body, but for your brain. The worst offender of brain health, according to Dr. Annie Fenn, a physician, chef, and author of the Brain Health Kitchen, is fast food. Burgers, chicken nuggets, and french fries are bad for your brain. When these cooking oils are heated to such high temperatures, it creates inflammatory particles called dietary advanced glycation end products. And this screws up your brain. Uh, Pastries and baked goods also not good for you. Um, So be sure to try to avoid those if you're concerned about brain health. I want to denounce the state of Utah. Utah, according to a study published by WalletHub, which is always great when you're wanting for somebody to commend or denounce, Utah is the worst state in the entire country for elder care. When it comes to care and abuse for people over the age of 65, the older population, Utah is by far the worst. This is based on 16 metrics across three key dimensions namely prevalence of elder abuse and gross neglect and elder fraud attempts and things like that, resources for the elderly, and then finally protection, financial elderly abuse laws and so forth. Over the three key dimensions, Utah has ranked dead last. If you are old, stay out of Utah. That's my advice for you. I must announce... Elon Musk, you know, I like Elon Musk, and I love what he's doing with Twitter, or at least I thought I did. And I love the things that he said he was going to be doing with Twitter because it was all about free speech. It was all about letting people engage in the modern-day electronic 21st century town square. Well, Elon Musk has no problem without any sort of a process. I covered this a little with uh, Brian Kilmeade yesterday. Suspending Twitter accounts of people that... He doesn't want to have free speech. He suspended on Wednesday more than 25 accounts that track the planes of government agencies, billionaires and high profile individuals, including one that followed the movements of his jet. Now, um, the 20 year old college student that was following his, de- his jet, uh, Jack Sweeney, strikes me as a very bright young man. And none of, and they offered him. They tried to pay him off to get him to stop doing this, and he he said no. He said, "All right, I'll do it for Tesla, for a Tesla vehicle, or a job with, um, you know, one of the Musk companies." And they wouldn't go for it. So Musk said, "All right, I'll just buy Twitter, and I will, um, I will essentially suspend this guy's account." And I don't think that's right at all. And I'm very skeptical of this rationale given for banning the journalists who posted Elon Musk's private jet information or whatever else he's claiming. Um, This is not right. This is not right. And uh, they ought to restore this guy's Twitter account. Either Elon Musk's for free speech or he's not. So uh, Elon Musk, traitor to the cause of free speech, I do denounce you. I must also denounce... The Port Authority, I don't know who these guys are kidding. Um, they are raising tolls on the Gothels Bridge, the Bayonne Bridge, the Outer Bridge Crossing. It is going to cost an extra dollar to drive even if you have Easy Pass to drive to New Jersey and back. They should they should pay me to go to New Jersey. They're gonna charge me more to go to New Jersey. This is outrageous. The Port of, and what and as Vito Fasella, the borough president of Staten Island said. What are we getting in response for this? We're Being asked to pay more, pay more, pay more. And what are we getting? Ugats, as my grandfather would say. Uh, Port Authority, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Mehdi Hassan. Mehdi Hassan, I think is the correct pronunciation of his name. He's on MSNBC. He... Is actually going so far on television as to claim that people like me, who have criticized Qatar and Qatar's uh, strict Sharia law, he's called us racist. He said we suffer from Qatarophobia. Now, look at what's going on in Qatar. We uh, it, it, we're racist. Or suffering from Qatarophobia if we point out that unmarried women are banned from receiving sexual health and prenatal care? Uh, We're asked to ignore that in Qatar uh, homosexuality is illegal and can result in death by stoning? Now, look, I am the self-proclaimed least judgmental person on earth. I don't judge anybody. I'm judging Qatar. This is a horrible country. This is a horrible place to live. This is repressive. This is the opposite of freedom. And am I imposing my Western sensibilities and Western liberal values on this theocracy that adheres to Sharia law? Yes. You know why? Because Sharia law sucks. And that's not what freedom is. Rather than Mehdi Hassan complaining about people like me who are critical of Qatar... He should be criticizing the oppressive tactics that the Qatari government engages in. By the way, this guy himself stated last year that he considers himself an anti-Zionist and a critic of the Israeli state, and he calls Israel an apartheid state. Now, you can have whatever opinion you want on Israel, but why are you not racist or Israeli-phobic for making comments and making criticism about the Israeli government and the way it treats people. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Racist for criticizing Qatar. Give me a break, Mehdi Hassan. I do denounce you. And uh, penultimately, I want to denounce Sam Britton of the Department of Energy, a 35-year-old deputy assistant secretary i don't know how this guy or person he's transgender or non-binary i can't keep track of his gender he changes gender you know um more than uh you know more than bob brown changes kenneth's name um this person sam Britton, keeps stealing people's luggage at airports and getting caught and then he keeps doing it again this guy is a kleptomaniac. He has no business working in the Department of Energy. I question what his qualification, or their, or her, I'm I, sorry about the pronoun, I don't know what the proper pronoun, I question this person's qualifications for getting a job with the Department of Energy in the first place. Whose luggage did he steal to get hired in the first place? And then lastly... So, Sam Bitton, I do denounce you. And then lastly, this is more of a gentle rebuke. I must denounce my three siblings. You know, when I text the three of them, I don't know what it is. I say, hey, does anybody want this? Does anybody want to join me at that? Anybody need this? Anybody have an answer for that? They don't respond. They don't respond. So then I have to then go out and SMS text message each of them individually and quadruple the work. Why can't they just respond? I don't know who does this. So, uh, Claudia, Alexander, and Nicholas, I love you, and it kills me to do it, but I do denounce you. Start responding to group SMS text messages. It's not right what you're doing. All right, if you evaded a denunciation today, congratulations, you dodged a bullet. But for the rest of you, sorry. Try and, try and imp- step up your game a little bit. All right, we're going to talk with Valerie small in just a moment. Very excited that she's joining me in studio. She has gone from the world of radio. To the world of film. We'll explore it straight ahead.
0: It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, lifelong radio fan above all else. And there's two big things that I look for in the world of radio. One is a voice that sounds good, a voice that sounds like it belongs on the radio, a voice that not only uses proper grammar and enunciates and has a melodious tone to it and sounds like it's having fun with words... And by the way, our next guest fits that description swimmingly. I'll tell you, if I ever go blind, which I hope never to do, I hope I do it while our next guest is still alive and recording things just so I could hear her voice on an endless loop. But the much more important thing in the world of radio, as you know if you're a radio listener, is to actually have something to say. And Valerie Smaldone... Absolutely has something to say and has for literally decades. She is a legend in the business of radio. She's won just about every award that you can win. She's been a DJ. She's been a talk show host. She's been a voiceover artist. And now she has made this incredible transition, not just to acting, which some of you may know about, but to the world of film production and directing, somebody that I've been a fan of for a long time. Very proud to welcome Valerie Small. Down. hello Valerie
10: oh frank oh Frank I, I that is by far the most intriguing introduction i 've ever had about should you go blind, you want to make sure i 'm still alive to perhaps speak to you That's right okay. well it looks like you're taking pretty good care of yourself, so i think I think I'm
1: in good shape in that regard. <laughs> I hearing your voice, it brings back so many memories of listening to you on the radio, not only for the nearly quarter century that I think a lot of our listeners remember you from at uh, Light FM, but all the great radio stations that you've that you've worked at. Is a voice like yours a gift from God or is that something that you need to work at or a little bit of both?
10: You know, that's a great question. And I I don't know that in today's world, the voice or the tone, as you mentioned, the melody, the melodiousness of the tone is as important as it used to be. When I started in this business, I think much more uh, important now is the personality of the individual. So uh, I don't know that the voice is that is as important as it used to be. But for me, um, I just had this voice and you know, I'm from the Bronx. Mm-hmm. I do. I'm I do, Burroughs... which, is, which is what led me to the question. Yeah, I'm a Burroughs girl, <laughs> and I can go there very easily. <laughs> if, uh, you know, you and I have a couple of glasses of wine, you never you never know what will come out. But um, I was very lucky. My parents spoke beautifully, and both my mother and father had beautiful voices. They were extremely articulate and really didn't have a New York accent. So I think I grew up in, the, in a house with good tones. And here I am, so many years later.
1: I know that you went to Fordham, and Fordham has one of the best radio stations of any college, probably in the whole country, WFUV. Yes. Were
10: you on the radio at uh, yeah. WFUV? Oh, yeah, day one. I walked in at the age of 17, I will not tell you the year, and uh, I literally, the first day I was there, and I said, how does this work? What do I what do, I do? And they said, well, you have to audition for the announcer's workshop. And I did, and it was then that a... a an elder classman or woman would sort of coach the younger people through. It it was not a professional station at the time. Now it's uh, part of uh, public radio. And so I walked into the station, I did the audition, and I started to work and learn the business really hands-on, without classes, without instruction, just doing it.
1: Is that the advice that you'd give to students or people that are looking to break into radio at any age is just find an opportunity for you to do it?
10: Yeah, I think, look, there's always great people. There great coaches and instructors that can help and guide you. But if you have the passion and the desire In many cases in this world, it's a matter of being on the job and learning through mistakes and learning through other people that you look up to. So that was the best instruction I ever had.
1: During your time at Light FM, it was, I believe, the most listened to radio station in the whole country. Mm -hmm. And it really sort of set a model not only for different stations around the country and the sort of music that they would play, but how they would present that music. In the last few years, we have seen stations all over the country on the FM dial and on satellite kind of come away from that uh, light FM model, which is centered around personalities, which is centered around people talking up a record or talking about the music, doing interviews around the records. And we've seen increasingly, particularly in small markets, radio stations moving into more of a voice track direction where there are no people. Essentially, it's a station run by robots. Do you think that's inevitable, or do you think that people are still kind of an essential element of even a music
10: station? Well, that's a cost-cutting device, right? The reason that uh, voice tracking came into play was just cheaper to do it that way. And anybody that wants to have a streamlined operation can figure out how to uh, cut costs. What do people want? I think especially in the world that is now far more disconnected than it's ever been – in a world that is dealing with so many challenges and turbulence in a world where we are you know committed to a cell phone to have communication people are yearning for that human connection and I believe that is always going to prevail, and that we'll have to get back to that somehow,
1: sooner or later. One of the things that I've always admired about your career, and if people are just uh, tuning in, we're talking with Valerie Smaldone, uh, you can check out her website at valeriesmaldone.com. A lot of information about what she's doing, and about some of the other things that uh, she's done previously, is that you seem to be able to adapt to sort of, not just any broadcast format, but any media format. I remember for a time, you were hosting a Show on the internet with a, a former 300-pound uh, FBI agent that had gone undercover to infiltrate wow. the mob uh, named Jack Garcia. You now, did
10: your research. Well,
1: I remember it. I was Like I said, I'm a fan. I've been following you for decades. And here, the two of you were very much kind of like the odd couple. You have him. He's interested in crime and law enforcement issues. You uh, seem more interested in maybe uh, lifestyle subjects, theater, things of that nature. How do you – and I think this is important advice not only for people in the media but in every aspect of life that may find themselves doing things that are a little outside their comfort zone and a little outside their – what they've done previously. How do you roll with the punches so well? Any advice for people on how they can adapt to the next challenge that they might be facing at work, in the media,
10: in their personal life, whatever? It's a very personal situation, obviously. Um, I – for me – when I was on the radio for all those years, Frank, uh, to me, I consider that a part-time job because it, it was not, you know, nine hours. You're on the air for four or five. There was a little bit of prep. And then I had other time. In fact, in the fr- early years, I was on from seven to midnight. So that was like a night job for me. So I had a whole day mm. to cultivate other talent. So I was doing promos at CBS Network. I was doing a home shopping show. I was doing a voiceover for many other clients. I was running around the city, and then i go to work at night. I always felt, utilize your day. Do as much as you can. It wasn't about making money. It was about stretching myself. And also, I'm a Gemini, so that's just my personality, to have to multi-track everything I do. Um, I think you have to find your path, right? Everybody has to decide what way they want to navigate their lives. And some people don't want to have a a multifaceted life. They really like Mm. being in a steady position. You know, I had a great job. I could have just done that and nothing else, but that didn't satisfy me. For me, personally, I don't know that everybody wants to do more I think
1: we're kindred spirits in that respect because uh, I look at uh, everything you're doing and the the kind of the schedule that you're describing, and it sounds a lot like uh, what I wrestle with on a a regular basis. And not not really wrestle with as a portrait of your words. It's a a struggle at times, but it's something that
10: I really enjoy doing.
1: Were you acting at that time as well? Always. Always. Always.
10: So here's the thing. Theater, television? This this has been my dilemma. So I started out wanting to act at, at a very young age. And my father, honestly... Really geared me. to He loved radio, and he geared me to radio. And he took me. You're too young to remember this, but in Queens, many years ago, there was um, a, a restaurant called the Broadcasters Inn. Hmm. It was a, a restaurant with a radio station in the middle, and a guy was sitting in the middle, like playing beautiful music. One That's guy, so cool, I love that. And everybody's eating their pasta, watching the poor schnook, you know, <laughs> on the radio. <laughs> I love And it. my father takes me there. and Says, "See, you can do that." And I'm like, I uh, okay, I guess so. Y- okay, that's sort of like entertainment, isn't it? It's kind of like entertainment, radio. And so he geared me in that direction, and I did have this voice. And so and I read really well. I read really well so I could pick up copy and sure. read very easy, easily. So that's how I ended up there. But my heart was always in theater and, and film and entertainment as a performer. So my entire life I was in here on stage and then over here on the radio. I did that my whole life.
1: When you're when you're acting Obviously, when you do a theatrical production, you're performing it before a live group of people, different crowd every day, and it ends up being that you're saying the same lines, in some cases, day after day after day. When you're doing television, when you're doing film, it's a very different situation. You don't necessarily get the live and immediate feedback from uh, an an audience generally, and you're not doing the same line again and and again and again. Once the director says print, that's the line you're stuck with. Which do you prefer as an actor?
10: I love theater. I just love theater. Whether you're in a... Tonight I just saw MJ for the second time. You know, huge, huge crowds. Or a 50-seat house. You're getting the vibe from the people. Mm. Every performance is different because of the relationship with the audience. The energy from the audience. Uh, the, The timing is different every night. So that is kind of flying without a net. You know, when you're doing a TV show... You can have your script underneath your your seat. You know, you can can stop. Mm. You're going to reset. You have time. You don't have time on stage. It is what it is. Once you start, once the lights go down, you're off to the races. And it's that adrenaline rush that is very exciting.
1: I was going to ask you how you're you involved in this film called The Thursday Night Club, which I haven't seen yet, but I'm very much looking forward to. It's on uh, something called Pure Flix, which I'm going to ask you about in a moment. But I was going to ask you how you made the transition to producing and directing motion pictures from having a background as a voiceover artist and in radio. But it doesn't sound like it was that much of a transition. It sounds like you were always doing everything and you've kind of just continued doing everything.
10: So I have the experience being in front of the camera as an actor. I've done seven episodic television shows, you know, little parts, but they're nice parts. And I sort of understand the whole the whole way this stuff works and I also teach and coach and have directed theater and I direct voice talent so if you can extrapolate that to a visual medium with the help of your crew because don't forget I have an assistant director who's handling the 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 technical part the crew people I have the director of photography who's dealing with all the cameras and the angles so we're collaborative team it's not just your director that's doing this and it was my first film i will tell you i was terrified frank as
1: both a producer and a director yes
10: because i came on first as an executive producer i'd been working with this company for a few years and it was uh, we had done some projects together and i really had stepped up my producing there was a, an incident where I needed to step into the role of a director because the director we had had a scheduling conflict and had to leave the project. And it was a week before the movie began to shoot. Wow. And we had 40 people moving into Connecticut. We had houses booked. We had, you know, people already had their deposits for their their work, and we needed a director. And so it seemed like, well, my co-producers kind of said to me, Valerie, you have to direct this film
1: so when you're in that position essentially you if you don't find a way to direct then that's it you know there's nobody coming with a parachute to rescue you in the production how do you know what to do? How do you know about the technical aspect? How do you know about the uh artistic aspect of directing other actors which even if you've been an actor is not necessarily something that comes immediately uh like second nature? How do you know uh in terms of what to direct the the editors and the the more technical aspects that many actors may not be familiar with? Where
10: do you begin? Well, I had produced And directed uh, reality videos before. I'm very comfortable in the editing process, to be honest with you. That's where I'm much more comfortable. And I have a vision of where I see the narrative of the film going. What makes sense? What is a continuity issue? What will be impactful to the audience? What hits your heartstrings? So on the editing side, I was comfortable. Not so much when I walked on the set, and I was really deferential to everybody around me, and I really relied on my coworkers to help me through, but I realized soon enough that you can't be so deferential because you have to have decisions made instantly, and you have to look at a circumstance, and I do have... I think I have experience in doing that even in the audio world. Remember, if you're doing audio documentary, it's still a narrative. Mm -hmm. So it's building the narrative for a film. And my motto, not really having done this before, was make this clean, make it simple. Tell the story, tell it from the heart. And that was how I got through it. And then with the help of my assistant director the director of photography, the experienced producers I worked with, Monty Hobbs and Matthew Shazarex, and Lou Aronica, who is uh, also the scriptwriter, we all collaborated together and made this film. I, I mean, my name is on it as the director, mm-hmm. but you cannot do this without the collaboration of your team, and they were so helpful. We've been talking with uh, Valerie Smaldone. She is the director and the producer
1: of a film called The Thursday Nightclub. It is a perfect film so it seems i'm going to be checking it out to watch around this time of year but probably any time of the year it is uh, currently available for viewing on pure flicks here's a
10: trailer to the thursday Night Club. dear lord we need to have a little talk we've come to one of my favorite segments of the year our annual christmas tree lighting this kind of stuff always happens to me, Kev?
11: Why do people keep bringing up the human factor?
2: If
5: I don't do the internship, I'm going to be painting a lot of walls, maybe for the rest of my life.
2: I really miss you.
5: You're going to see a
8: sign, and that sign is going to point you towards doing something that makes a real
11: difference. It's the reason
10: life is a never-ending series of choices. So choose to be happy.
5: An important part of kindness is cutting other people some slack.
10: Looks like I have some praying to do, huh?
2: Well, she's in good hands. But your prayers would be appreciated.
1: Valerie, I'm really looking forward to seeing this. The I enjoy a lot of faith-based uh, programming, and every year I try to see as many of the Oscar-nominated films as possible. And usually, there's at least one or two faith-based films in there. Sometimes for best original song or best score. It seems like there's been an explosion in interest in the faith-based in the faith-based film production arena. Is that just my perception or is that actually the case?
10: There are more channels that are offering it. And I think that this is an important point. We live in a very difficult world and it is chaotic. It is turbulent. It is angry. And people are very strange. I don't know if you've noticed (laughs)
1: people. (laughs) You should see the people that are going to call me as soon as you leave. People are
10: very strange in the sense that I think that the pandemic has caused people to become very insulated and fearful and remember by being with other people we got sick right that right. was that was the pro- used to say the the breath is so important now the breath was killing us because we were breathing other people's air and causing problems so we've been through a really traumatic time it couldn't be a better time to have films that come back to our values come back to faith and Even if you don't want to talk about faith, this movie is about kindness. It's about the basic elements of what makes us human being good to other people.
1: I know it's based on a
10: novella that was very popular, and I think there was also a podcast based on the novella. What's it about? The Thursday Nightclub film, it's adapted a little bit differently from the the novella, is about five college students who are getting ready to graduate, and every Thursday through their college career, these five really close friends would get together and have dinner, potluck dinner. And as they're nearing the end of their college career, one of the uh, five invites her father to come to dinner. Now, this family has always been... Very, very charitable. And every Christmas, the family gets together and decides on what their Christmas project is going to be to help other people in need or other organizations. And the father comes and sort of challenges the four other students who are very focused on their career. One is going into business and one is becoming an actress. What are you doing for other people? You know, it's not just about you. He challenges them that they're going to see a sign from above that will tell them it's time to do something mm. other than for yourself. And so that's what happens. Uh, there's a tragic circumstance that really causes them to pay attention. And then each of the other people of the students finds a sign and they do something Beneficial, charitable, kind for somebody else.
1: Love this! I can't wait to uh, I can't wait to see this. This is also the
10: film debut of legendary singer Gloria Gaynor. Yes, right? Yes. yes. What was she like to work? Film with? acting debut. Well, I've worked with Gloria before. That's how I got Gloria. Um, I've interviewed her numerous times. I interviewed her in front of the Ninety Second Street Y in a hmm. live interview when she had a book out about people's stories of survival. Of course, we know her from I Will Survive. And Gloria is extraordinarily faith-based. You know, she's she's very, very um, uh, religious. Is she a doctor in this picture? She plays Dr. Poitier, and she chose the name Poitier because Sydney had just passed away. Great, right, wonderful. And she, an important point of the film, there's a story arc that is about bone marrow donation, and she plays a doctor who's doing the, uh, the, the uh, procedure. And um, with that storyline, we've partnered with Be the Match, which is the National Bone Marrow Registry, for people to take the swab Mm -hmm. and to raise awareness through the film, about the need for people to get on that registry.
1: That's wonderful. I'm on the registry. Are you? And uh, not enough people are. A lot of people waiting for bone marrow and literally an opportunity to save someone's life. So it's on Pure flicks. Speaking of Gloria Gaynor and what you're trying to do with respect to bone marrow donation, here's a PSA which may tell people a little bit more about it. Hi, I'm Gloria Gaynor, and I'm making my film acting debut in the Thursday nightclub a movie that features a
2: storyline about bone marrow donation. Thousands of patients battling blood cancer, like leukemia and other blood diseases, are searching for a matching donor. It only takes a cheek swab to join the National Donor Program. Visit BeTheMatch.org to learn more and look for the film, The Thursday Night
1: Club, this fall. What is PureFlix? How can people um, actually go and watch this film? The Puref- Thursday
10: PureFlix.com. Now, PureFlix is a is a wholly owned subsidiary of Sony. And um, it is a faith and family channel. So uh, if you like that kind of entertainment, I highly recommend you go on. You can take a 14-day free trial or seven days, excuse me, a seven-day free trial to see if you like the channel. Thursday Night Club will be on through the holidays. We st- launched November 1st through the holidays. And then we're picked up by a second distribution source that's going to put us out to a wider audience nationally and internationally. So it will have another, another life Great. down well, the you're, road.
1: You're going to have to come back and, uh, when it's available in that down the road life and uh, talk to us a little bit more about it. You are uh, involved in something called Divine Renovation with uh, one of my favorite people, Erica Estrada. Yes. What's
10: Divine Renovation? Divine, so two of the producers and I formed a little company together, and we wanted to continue with the idea of how can we do good for other people through content? right through the movie is a narrative film it's it's fiction what can we do in real life so we came up with this idea divine renovation and monty hobbs came up with the great title and the concept of going into a community where people need some kind of home enhancements we're not doing you know bathrooms i can't hire you to finish kitchen. my basement. no no but Sometimes the simplest things mean so much to people, so we found people we found a veteran that was disabled. We found an elderly couple that needed adaptive equipment in their home uh, a disabled child. What could we do to make their lives better? So we came in, we did home enhancements, but we also brought them spiritual uplift, Wonderful. so whether it was a music, whether it was ice cream, whether it was food, uh, whether it was a party. We provided not only the enhancements in their home, but the community came together, not-for-profits came together, and um, businesses. And we shot this in Wilmington, North Carolina. We were so thrilled that so many people in the business community donated in-kind items to improve these people's lives. And Eric Estrada was so great to work with. He's delightful, so fun. How can people see this, Divine Renovation? Well, we're in the editing process gotcha. right now. So, it's so not... I don't have an outlet yet, but by spring we will have that information for you. That's really neat. So I'm guessing, is your faith a pretty important part of your own life? It has become more so since my mom passed away, really? I'll be very honest with Sorry. you. Yeah, and um, I've I've decided that I really wanted to go a little bit deeper into that connection and to explore it a little bit more. But overall, this whole idea is really getting back to what makes us human and how can we be good to other people and not angry all the time. This is an angry city. I don't know if you've noticed. I have, (laughs) and it's an angry medium.
1: Uh, You should see, I, I could say... Um, the it's Friday today and the sky is blue and uh, half the audience will say I'm the worst person ever and I'm trying to distort some media narrative and I'm trying to pass myself How off as a fair... How do you feel about as a fair, I, well, I'm, it's I'm really, curious, does it hurt you? Uh, you know, it used to, much more so, but honestly now I just find it laughable. Uh, on, on the radio. I find it much more, um, you know, we have this little Facebook group of our listeners and they expressed different uh, comments about the show, Different Opinions, and I think that's great. And um, it bothers me when someone has a difference of opinion with another listener that they have, know nothing about, and that's not a public figure, and that's not inviting public criticism. And then all of a sudden, the first reaction to somebody that has a difference of opinion is to just go after that person. Mm-hmm. As if they 're their enemy, I right. said, "Whoa, you guys disagree over you know something silly right <laughs> or even if it 's something significant, why do you feel the need to just attack this person that you 've never met now me at least you 're listening to four hours a day, presumably you have some reasons why you might take issue with what i 'm doing but i I find the um what social media has done in terms of making it okay for people to bash strangers, I find it incredibly toxic on the culture at large.
10: Well, because there's no accountability. You're just there as a a person that's typing in very quickly, and nobody thinks about it. They just type very quickly. We need to just get together and just be Mm face-to-face with people and understand the common ground Is much more uh, prevalent than that which rips us apart that's
1: one of the things I worry about a great deal you know as a new father with um, youth these days because I think with so much communication being increasingly done through screens rather than in person they never really learn what it's like to see the face of someone that gets insulted or something along those lines and I I think that could lead to a a coarsening of the the culture in the long term but that's a, a a longer discussion and hopefully you'll come back and we'll have it you are you are uh, going on one of the most popular shows on network television today with one of the best actors, I think, ever, and that's James
10: Spader. You're doing an episode of Blacklist? I am. Yeah, I am shooting it uh, very, very shortly, actually. That's yeah. pretty neat. Yeah. Look, I, it, I'm i pretty typecast because I'm usually a news anchor on these TV shows. This is my seventh episodic TV show Six out of seven, I played a news anchor. One, I played a lawyer on Blue Bloods once. So, you know, I do these little gigs now and again, and they're super fun. I really appreciate it. I appreciate my manager getting me out there. And here I am back being a Gemini again, having a million jobs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Valerie Smaldone, uh, I am a fan. It is so great to have you on the show. I hope, now that I know that you uh, don't live too far away and the pandemic's largely over, I hope you'll make visiting our show a regular stop.
10: Oh, you're very kind. Thank you. And congratulations on your new baby. Thank you. Thanks so much.
1: If you want to comment on any portion of my discussion with Valerie Smaldone, you could give me a call, 800-848-9222. Be sure to check out the Thursday Night Club. It is on Pure Flix. Just go to pureflix.com. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight.
0: Straight ahead. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
1: Is. My goodness. Uh, we should try and get Gloria Gaynor on the show. I just wrote myself a note uh, that uh, I don't know that I've ever reached out to her, uh, but she's uh, seems like a fascinating woman. Great singer, that's for sure. All right, if you want to comment on anything we have covered thus far. Let me say hello to Rich in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Rich. Uh, above
2: Valley, small dunes. Her voice was so soft. I think we're going back over 30 years ago when she was on Light FM. I think if you didn't know any better, you would think Light FM was created for her voice. Right. You're right. Smooth voice. I never heard of any, all my life, any DJ that spoke so smooth and soothing that went with the music.
1: I completely agree with you, Rich. Uh, I think, uh, as I mentioned at the start of our interview, I think she has a velvet voice. Absolutely. CeCe is in Brooklyn. Hello, CeCe.
4: Hey, how you doing? Thanks for taking the call. Sure thing. Uh, Okay. I I like your point about um, the CIA, FBI, all the protective agencies here. You say they knew the profile background of everyone involved, say, like, um, um, the, the
8: Kennedy
3: assassination, they knew these profiles of these individuals, you know? So my question is, um, when Trump brings an issue that says um,
4: Obama is not American, how did this go so far
1: with these agencies? I would think they, they know better. Well, I mean, I think they knew they knew that Obama was American, right? right. I mean, I think they knew he was born here. Okay, okay, yeah, I, I think, you know, like you're saying, these are
4: all protective agencies, they know, but how did, why was they, the media allowed to just
1: carry that, that controversy? Well, I mean, look, I think, really, every credible media outlet said that it was nonsense, you know, I mean, I think, um, oh, okay. you know, so I, I don't know that uh, any serious media outlet really took that claim too seriously, thank you, CC, um, you know, and ultimately we saw the proof with the birth certificate, right? All right, uh, coming up next hour, uh, we'll do a hodgepodge of things. I have a bunch of stuff I want to get to. Until then, your influence counts, so use it.
0: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Marano.
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Milano. I have been known, particularly on the weekend, to imbibe with a libation or two, and uh, especially before I had a child, it would not be unusual to come across me on a Friday or a Saturday night somewhere, or back in the day on a Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon when I worked early mornings, and... uh, find me totally inebriated, totally ossified, out of my mind. Now, I think I hold it together pretty well. Uh, and most people, a lot of people, I should say, not most, but a lot of people, even after I'm past the point of of buzzed to severe drunkenness, have remarked that because I don't really slur my words or anything like that, that I uh, I have a tendency that they didn't even know I was drunk, right? But... Uh, There's one thing that I've never really had to deal with as a drinker. I have never experienced a hangover. I really can't relate to a hangover. There have been days where I have uh, gotten up the next day and, I don't know, felt a little, no, I I don't, actually, I, I feel fine the next day. Now, part of that could be genetic. Right. There are all sorts of people genetically who don't get hungover. Right. And I think that might be the case with me because, as I don't think any of my siblings get hungover either. Now, the other thing is it could be just because I drink a lot of alcohol. And when you drink a lot of alcohol, your body gets used to the toxicity of it and you tend not to get hungover. And now that could also be the reason my three siblings don't get hungover because that, that could well, that be
12: drinking and going to. Uh, 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 uh,
1: thank you. That could be one of the reasons the three of us don't get hungover. But whatever the case may be, there are a lot of people out there that do get hungover, and I empathize with these people. You know, we just were in Mexico for uh, my brother-in-law's wedding, and I've noticed especially with people that I uh, don't want to insult anyone. With people that don't know how to drink alcohol, with people who don't drink often, the people that get drunk two or three times a year, those folks get hungover. And that was the case in Mexico. I saw uh, family and friends really unable to function the next day, which I can't relate to. I, I, I mean, there were folks who late in the afternoon were still in bed because they were hungover. So I can't understand that. And I'm uh, and the. And the other issue could be just because I always drink a lot of water. Even when I'm drinking martinis or bourbon, I'll still drink a lot of water to hydrate. That being said, I realize hangovers are a big problem for a lot of folks, especially this time of year when you have all sorts of Christmas parties, which we'll come back to in a second. A doctor in Los Angeles has come out with what she is calling – a hangover cure, and it's going viral. This is a licensed doctor who goes under uh, the TikTok handle The Wellness Farm, P-H-A-R-M, and she says she has single-handedly the most effective way to cure the headache, fatigue, nausea, and dehydration, along with the other symptoms of a, a, that come after a long night of drinking. So because it's Friday, because a lot of you are probably going to Christmas parties today. I'm going to be at a Christmas party tonight. Uh, A lot of you might be going to parties over the weekend. You may be dealing with this situation. I figure let me at least tell you what this doctor recommends in terms of avoiding a hangover. Now, if you're not a big drinker or if you're like me and you just don't get hungover, a hangover is a – basically, as I understand it, it's a group of unpleasant symptoms that occur after heavy alcohol consumption. It can include alcohol. It can include a headache, dizziness, thirst, fatigue, nausea. Even some people get very sensitive to light and sound, and they can range in severity from mild to severe. Sometimes it can last for hours. For some people, I've not seen this. Some people can even last for days. So some people just brush this off as a minor inconvenience. I'm in that camp. You know, I always when I'm always talking about the importance of sleep and the importance of naps, and I hate that society has turned people that want to get sleep into villains and make them feel weak or lazy when that's not the not true. You should be trying to get sleep. You should be trying to get naps. Get the rest that your body needs. And uh, I'm not going to shame anyone because they want to take a nap in the middle of the workday. I think we should be encouraging that. But when it comes to hangovers, I have to be honest. I do tend to look at people um, that get hungover as, uh, I don't know, a little weak. Here's how you can avoid getting the look from people like me, according to this doctor. So you... The hangover cure ingredients that she's come up with are, number one, vitamin B complex. That refers to the group of eight B vitamins that play important roles in the body. These are vitamins that are essential for maintaining good health and well-being. They work together. You got vitamin, you know, B1 through B12, essentially. So each B vitamin has its own unique benefits and functions. So... Um, if you are going to be out for a long night of drinking, you might pay to have some vitamin B complex in your cupboard, right? With enough, Without enough B vitamins, our bodies aren't necessarily able to produce enough energy. Um, two is magnesium. Magnesium is a vital mineral that's really necessary for the proper functioning of the human body. And um, the magnesium helps to regulate muscle and nerve function. It's also essential for the production of energy. So you see these people that get hungover and are unable to move. The magnesium helps get your metabolism back in shape. The other one is, um, and I would not heard this before. I had heard about vitamin B complex. I had heard about magnesium. This is one that I hadn't heard for, for this use. Folic acid. They also call this vitamin B9. This plays a big role. It's found in a lot of um, green leafy vegetables, but you can also get folic acid supplements in tablet form, in capsule form, in liquid form. And then lastly, an electrolyte energy drink. This is something that I think a lot of college students have been using for years, a Pedialyte or things like that that are meant to hydrate a baby. We got some for Carmine when he had the flu last week adults take this so if you want a foolproof hangover cure according to this doctor it's combination of vitamin b complex the electrolyte drink uh, magnesium and folic acid speaking of alcohol and if you want to comment on that you can 800-848-9222 speaking of alcohol the big news in 2022 you know this is the time of year where you get all these year-end lists, the things that happened this year, the things that didn't happen, the biggest news stories, the biggest blunders, the biggest gaffes, the biggest this, da, 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 da. Well, this is actually big news. The, you're familiar with the espresso martini? My mom drinks these, and my mom's not a big drinker, but occasionally we'll go to a bar or something when we're, when we're in Atlantic City together, which uh, we haven't been in a while. But she will get an espresso martini. And, and she actually was so taken with the espresso martini at one point, she bought all the ingredients, and when she's having a party at some, or something at her house, she'll have me make her an espresso martini. I am always leery of the espresso martini because um, I don't really love the idea of mixing caffeine and booze because I don't like what it does, especially if you're having multiple ones. I find that uh, by having that caffeine, it – you think you're less drunk than you are, and you're awake. You're wide awake. You're still just as drunk as everybody else, but you're wide awake. And because you're awake, you don't realize how drunk you are, so you keep drinking, and you get you get sick or you get dehydrated. So I'm not a big believer in these espresso martinis. However, I am in the minority because, as of 2022, the espresso martini has replaced the Manhattan... As one of the 10 most ordered cocktails of the year 2022. What? The mix of vodka, espresso, and coffee liqueur was supposedly invented just 40 years ago in the 1980s when a supermodel told a bartender in London to make something to wake me up and then then blank me up. Right? And the cocktail fell out of fashion uh, until recently. But it has made a big comeback in recent years. As of now, the espresso martini has jumped ahead of the Manhattan. Very surprised by this. I drink Manhattans, and the Manhattan I always viewed as kind of a a classic cocktail. But whatever. You can't fight the trends. And then the last thing I'll mention on the booze front is there's always a lot of debate and internal debate sometimes about how you should behave at the company Christmas party, right? Because most company Christmas parties or holiday parties, whatever the PC term is, most company Christmas parties, they have alcohol, right? Um, any any company worth working for is going to have booze at the Christmas party. So um, there's a, a lot of times there's an open bar, which is great. There's free food. And sometimes people get silly and they end up embarrassing themselves and that can lead to all sorts of things. One, sometimes you end up um, saying something or doing something that you regret in front of people you barely know or in front of your boss or telling your boss what you really think about them. Now, I have the uh, the curse of just telling people what I really think about them all the time. So that's not really affected by booze. But a lot of people are. It's funny. at the um, We had a party for the 100th anniversary of our radio station a couple of months ago. And I went over to... One of uh, one of the people that worked here at the time, and I said, you know, I was at the bar, and I said, do you want me to get you something? And they asked for, uh, I don't know, like a cranberry and orange juice, right? Like a, a mocktail. And I said, well, because I don't, is not someone that I hang out with regularly, I said, do you not drink, or are you not drinking? And uh, she said, well, I'll be honest, I really don't drink most of the time, but I would absolutely never drink at a work function, And I think that's a smart philosophy. It's not something that I would ever adhere to, but it's smart if you're, um, you know, concerned about getting silly because I've seen a lot of people get themselves into jams with booze at the workplace. So um, there's been a whole bunch of articles written about tips for making the most out of your holiday office party because the holiday office party can be a great opportunity for, for networking, right, because you might end up seeing people that you don't normally see. And um, they may know that you exist for the first time, right? You may strike up a conversation about something. You may find you have something in common. But it can also be dangerous because you don't want to do anything. You want to end up with a lampshade on your head or, um, you know, make it out with the the boss's niece or something, whatever the case may be. So uh, if you have thoughts on that, you can um, go ahead and call in at 800-848-9222. But uh, as far as these holiday uh, Christmas parties go, I think it's great – to have a drink or two but you really have to know when to quit and if you're you got to know yourself especially if you're a younger person right if you know that you have a not a tough time stopping at two drinks or three drinks maybe you don't drink that's my my thoughts if you want to comment on any of that you can 800 848 open lines alex barnard is here hello alex
5: hello frank um i was going to say that i I not that I take issue with something that you said about your the reason why you don't get hangovers, but I do think that it's more about the fact that you it's probably your genetics than it is that you drink so much mm-hmm. because for a lot of people who do get hangovers, which is it's more common that you do get a hangover than no, than no, not, I think it's course. like eighty yeah. percent of the population. Right. It it what tends to happen is it, it as you get older, not only do you get them more frequently. And more severely, but you, you can get them from less and less alcohol. Uh,
1: Has that what been what happens to you?
5: Yeah. Do you absolutely. drink water
1: while you're drinking alcohol? I don't. I need See, to do that that's more. That's what you gotta I,
5: do. I do need to do that more. The two yeah.
1: things, the, the two things that I would most recommend to people in terms of avoiding a hangover are number one, avoid. Uh, so, number one is drink water. You have to drink water, at least two glasses of water for every cocktail. Um, or every drink. Have to. Absolutely essential. The other thing is if you're someone and you got to know your body, right? And I think Alex is right. I think a lot of it is genetic. You have to avoid not only mixing alcohols, right? But you have to avoid sweet mixers, you have mm-hmm. to avoid sugar, right? That's why um, if you're going to – if you know – if you're – juices, like vodka, cranberry, Long Island iced tea, screwdriver, Cosmopolitan, you can't use those sweet mixers. you got to stay away from those sweet mixers. There's something about the sugar when you have all that booze that screws you up. What do you generally drink when you go out?
5: Uh, Well, when I go out, I I tend to stick to uh, whiskey, maybe like a – a um an old fashioned. If I'm having a cocktail, see, that's a smart. that's a smart, yeah. that's a smart move. The, One they, of the worst hangovers I've ever had. I don't know if have you ever had Pink Whitney?
1: I don't think so. What's that?
5: It's the most vile um thing in the world. It's like pink lemonade vodka. Oh, see, and it's. <laughs> Terrible. Th- that is terrible. Le- terrible. First of all, terrible. people
1: shouldn't be drinking that under any
5: circumstance.
1: But second, you should absolutely not be drinking that. And uh, you're definitely going to get a hangover.
5: Yeah, that, that was definitely one of the worst hangovers I've ever had in my
1: they life. They say, doctors say, and experts say, that for whatever reason, carbonated beverages, beer, sparkling wine, they may tend to give you more of a, a hangover the next day than if you stay away from uh, carboning, carbonation. I'm not necessarily sure why. And I could easily look it up, but, you know, just – it's not necessary. You just skip the carbonated beverages. So uh, my advice for you would be to drink water.
10: If yeah, you. I,
5: you? I do need to, and I uh, cause – because – um, Callie tends to drink more water than I do, and she her hangovers are not nearly as severe as mine when she when she does get hung. You got to do that,
1: uh, Matt Blaze. You, you don't strike me as a drinker because no. drinking's fun. <laughs>
13: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was never a drinker, even when I was drinking, which was like in college. I mean, I went out every Thursday and Friday night and did all that. Like, <laughs> it must have been
1: else. a barrel of laughs
13: back but, then. But, Well, I'll tell you right now, I used to get to a point during the night where I had like a half a beer in my hand and I'd look at it and go I've had enough and I'm just Well that's done. smart that's great that's great So I've never I've never blacked out ever I've never had an I've never had it where I woke up the next morning and went oh my god what did I do last night how did I get here that's never ever happened to me and I probably only had maybe one or two like bad hangovers where I woke up the next day like feeling really sick other than that I, I a little headache here and there from the night of drinking but nothing crazy it's just not my thing i just don't i've had i had the same beer in my refrigerator for a year just because it's just not something that i do and even now when i go out sometimes if i have a beer usually i just have like a diet coke I just, it's not my thing ryan what's your story Story is um, I
1: have gotten hung over before. One story in particular was one time senior year in college, dear friend of mine just said, you know what? I have a bunch of alcohol. Let's just drink something. So we did throughout the whole night. I got so hung over and I thought maybe I could try and like rest
5: it off. But then I remembered next day I had to go to a Jets game because I spent $30 on tickets from the Student Union building. So I literally sat there on the bus sunglasses on didn't want to talk to everybody knocked out yeah see that's ridiculous
1: yeah that is like such a waste of a day i i can't i can't i can't deal with that now maybe you're right uh alex in that a uh, part of it is genetic but i think yeah. a lot of it is also what you're drinking but if you're someone um you should try this try this four I cocktail will. i will uh,
5: this four ingredient hangover cure because the thing magnesium
1: that me. vitamin b12 Folic acid and electrolyte energy.
5: Drink. The thing that messes me up the most is that it always screws up my sleep when right. I've had way too much sleep. That's what drink. everybody says. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, you know what happens with with booze in general? If it, it, it people think that alcohol helps you sleep and it can, it can help you get to sleep. It doesn't help you stay asleep because what happens with alcohol and, you know, you only become an expert in this one way. But what happens with alcohol is at first alcohol is a depressant and then in your body it becomes an accelerant so you get in your heart you get stachycardia, right and um you end up getting awoken even if the booze has helped put you to sleep you end up getting awoken by this pop 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 pop, pop, pop by your heart racing so you got to be you got to be careful you just the good the the appropriate philosophy is just to not overdo it, but if you are gonna overdo it, overdo it smartly. Overdo it while drinking water. Overdo it with while staying away from sweeteners, sweet mixers. I at this wedding in Mexico, you know, it was an all-inclusive resort. So people who don't normally drink, they were drinking like crazy. And I, as the elder statesman of the alcohol community, I have to take a lot of these young guys and girls under my wing. And I said, no, no, don't get that. And I had to to stop one person from ordering a Long Island iced tea. Nobody should ever order a Long Island iced tea. The only acceptable scenario for ordering a Long Island iced tea is if maybe you're homeless and you if you have five dollars and 50 cents to your name and you need one drink to hopefully get you drunk. Right. If you have very little pocket money and you need to get drunk in a hurry. okay, the Long Island iced tea is for you. Or if you're, you're 14 or something, or 16, I guess, right? And you've managed to sneak into a bar and you have no money and you're probably only going to get to get one drink. All right. The Long Island iced tea will plaster you. But it's it's terrible. It's it's terrible tasting. It's terrible for you. There are a bunch of liqueurs that should never be mixed together and especially with Coke in there. And uh, that's the kind of thing that will give you.
13: Do you drink shots when you drink?
1: I will. uh, Not really. You know, I will drink a shot like if uh, if there's a uh, if there's someone that says, do you want to do shots? Like if there's a communal um, for a fraternal thing or a camaraderie thing. Uh, I'll take a shot of what they're drinking. I won't do these crazy shots that people do, like a mind eraser or this. <laughs> right. I will do a shot usually... Mud slide
13: and all that yeah, no, no, stuff. Yeah,
1: no, I'll do a shot of... Um, Something that uh, that I would normally drink. Like I, I'll do a shot of Jameson sometimes, uh, but um, you know. But yeah, I'll I, I'll not turn down a shot if people are doing shots. I I, I go I go with the crowd. I go with the crowd
13: because I I did go through. We used to do shots. I mean, like in college, you do shots, and I used to. Uh, my friend and I, his brother's girlfriend was the bartender, and we would sit. It was a round bar, and we'd literally sit across the bar from each other. And myself and him would sit together, and his older brother and his friend, and we would see who could send the worst shot to oh, each other. No, that's And I've mixed every kind of liquor. I can actually drink. Because I don't doesn't mean I can't hold my liquor. Because I've done the most disgusting shots that you've ever heard of with combining everything into one shot. And I've done that, so I can drink. I just choose not to. Well, I think that's great. I am uh, I am
1: not one of these guys and never have been that would ever uh, kind of shame someone for not drinking. I, you know, I usually, uh, during Lent, I spend 40 days sober, right? So I, I hate when people always try always trying to twist your arm. I would just have one, just have one. No, I don't want to drink. Maybe I don't want to drink because I don't want to get drunk. Maybe I don't want to lose brain cells. Maybe I don't want to uh, put on weight, right? Whatever the case may be, you know, you're not drinking. So so what? I, I think that's uh, I think that's fine. But 800 um, 848 if you want to comment. That's 800 nine two 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 i sometimes will get the shot and if it's something that i will enjoy like a whiskey or something or a chilled vodka sometimes i won't necessarily do it as a shot right i will sip it i don't drink to get uh drunk necessarily right these people that don't drink regularly they go out and this is why new year's eve is such a lame party usually These people who never drink and never get drunk, they go out and they order all these drinks with the mindset of, oh, let's get uh, messed up. Let's get drunk. I have never gone out and had that be my philosophy. My philosophy is always let's enjoy the convivial experience of drinking alcohol. And if you happen to get drunk, if that's something that occurs naturally, it's fine. But um, I never would order drinks with the intention of, oh, this is really going to screw me up. That's, I mean, that's something that you do if you're away at college for the first time and never really drank before, which is – I'll be honest, and I'm serious about this. This is one of the reasons I think binge drinking and um, drinking and driving and people getting sick while drinking is such a problem on college campuses. I think these kids uh, are repressed – I think they are never allowed to drink alcohol. And then they don't know what – they don't know anything about their own bodies. They don't know anything about their own relationship with alcohol because they've never done it before. So they go out, and the first time they go to a keg party or a frat party, they just get drunk, they get hammered, and they make poor decisions. And uh, I think that's something that uh, I'm hoping, you know, uh, when my son's older – that uh, we'll we'll have drinks together long before he ever goes to college so that he doesn't see it as this forbidden fruit that he has to go out and uh, make up for lost time because his parents never let him have a sip of wine or or a glass of beer or something. All right. uh, You're welcome to comment on anything you see fit. We're going to do the $1,000 Minute in uh, just a bit. And I have a bunch of stuff to get to. Uh, I don't know where the day... I don't know where the show went, right? I mean... JFK, Valerie Smaldone, Ask Frank Anything, commendations a lot. I have have pages of stuff here that I have to get to. Jimmy is on Staten Island. Hello, Jimmy.
6: Hi, Frank and everybody. Um, I just uh, want to tell you that Valerie Smaldone Um, I'll be honest, you know, sometimes in your life you work different shifts and you come across people you think retired or moved on and they're not with the firm anymore. Then all of a sudden you see them, you're like, oh, I thought you left or you died or something, whatever. And um, to hear her voice again, after so many years, I mean, I'm 60 years old and I'm the guy with the broken neck, if you remember. And I'm doing well, thank God, for that. But hearing her voice and uh, it opened up... All past memories of hearing her on the radio and as far as she's a wonderful woman I always enjoyed her voice over the radio and yours as well and to tell you the truth the thing about drinking my sister came to my house one day uh, in Brooklyn I lived on 58th Street and I the house was pitch black and my sister opened the door, because we all have keys in the family. And I said, shut that door, shut that light, I can't. But my sister was so full of life and energy, she opened up the Venetian blinds, The sun came in, and I said, oh my God, it's over with the drink, and look, I'm r- wasting a whole day. Right. And that was at 22 years old, I'm now 60, I have not had a drink since. Well, that's
1: great, uh, good for you. You know, I, had a, uh, I, have a, I have a very close friend who uh, was an alcoholic, a functional alcoholic, and um, basically, uh, you know, he, he did a lot of damage to his body. I mean, there were other circumstances as well, but he ended up needing a um, liver transplant. He, he was so damaged his liver from drinking that he needed a liver transplant. So uh, after he got his new liver, you know, I asked, well, so what are you going to do? Are you going to go to counseling or anything to stop, um, you know, to stop drinking? And he said, no, I'm just going to stop. He said, I said, well, you can just do it. He said, yeah, I've had enough. Clearly uh, that I've had enough beers, enough wine for one lifetime. I'm, I'm done. That's it. And uh, I think, you know, sometimes you reach that moment at 20. Sometimes you reach it at 60. Uh, some people never get there. Right. Uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that you need to do a little introspection with. Right. 800 Patrick is in Huntington. Hello, Patrick.
3: Good morning, Frank. I haven't heard you disanimated since you got that cheese of the month subscription.
1: Uh, (laughs) Uh, Real funny, ain't you? Okay. (laughs) Uh,
3: I I find uh, over the last couple of years, especially after the pandemic and whatnot, my ability to recover after drinking is days. Uh, And the accelerant you talk about, when you're drinking, is serotonin. I'm surprised that woman didn't bring that up in the uh, research there. But that's what makes you feel good. And alcohol raises your serotonin, but then it actually strips it all away. And that's why it's a mood thing afterwards. Uh, But, yeah, my ability to uh, recover after, you know, drinking is... It's horrible. So yeah, well, I, that's I,
1: what that's what Alex was saying, and uh, and uh, do you drink water when you're drinking alcohol? No, you gotta no, drink only... water. You gotta drink water. That's so important.
3: Well, yeah, that's for the dehydration part, I guess. Yeah, I, they always say that too, and then you'll drink less too, I guess. Well, yeah, exactly,
1: right. But uh, but the water for thanks, Patrick. Uh, have a good weekend. It's um it's important to drink water anyway, right? You should always try to drink a lot of water. They say. But if you're going to be drinking alcohol, that is – it's so important, so important for your uh, digestive health, for your uh, bloodstream, for your body, for being able to filter out the booze afterwards, for not getting dehydrated. It's so key. you got to drink water. Uh, Two glasses of water for every one alcoholic beverage. That's my belief. Original Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Original Rick.
12: Good morning, Frank. Good morning. Morning, Two quick things. uh, So let me finish. First of all, are you aware of a service where they come to your uh, house?
1: Yes, yes, or your office. Oh,
12: you know, yeah, and put the IV in you? Mm -hmm.
1: Yep. I I know a lot of Uh, folks that that. have done that. Uh, I I have always said, uh, because if you watch the show um, Billions, there's a character that has a whole business doing that, and that's now all the rage among late 20-something Wall Street people. They're all about this. I have always said, if I am ever at the point where I'm having someone bring me an IV to recover from drinking the next day, then my drinking days are over. I- I'm, ap- I-, I will never have someone come to the office and give me an IV so that I can get through the day. I mean, that's it. Uh, that is that is my red line.
12: Yeah, it's a, it's a big rage on Broadway because these actors come in, you know, half in the bag, and uh, they got to get them ready to go on stage. So. The stage managers call these people. Come over, and within like a half hour, they're out on stage doing that
11: thing.
1: Yeah, well, that is interesting, uh, Rick. Did you ever try it?
12: No, I'm not that big of a drinker.
11: No, so, did oh, okay. I need
12: an IV? I'm like you. If I need an IV, uh, it, I, there's other problems. Yeah. Also, do you the fact that you and your siblings don't have a hangover that definitely is genetic. There's a thing called THQ, which is the enzyme that breaks down alcohol in your system. Otherwise, it'd be in there forever and uh, people with the red gene that produces red hair or red skin, like indigenous Americans, they have much less of it. Oh,
1: that's interesting. Why they,
12: that, that's, that's why they have a, a hard time with alcohol like Irish people.
1: That's so interesting you say uh-huh. that my wife has red hair and she's Irish and she gets hungover. Now, I always thought it was because she doesn't drink much. You're saying no, it's because, because of that red hair it- thing.
12: Yeah, the alcohol stays in her system longer than it does you. Interesting. So it causes more of a, a hangover and that's why they become addicted to it easier because one drink is like you or oh. someone else having two or three. You know? Interesting.
1: All right. Thank you, Rick. That's very helpful, actually. Yeah. Very interesting. Eight hundred eight 848 We'll take a couple quick calls here, then we'll move on to the $1,000 minute. Mike is in wherever he is, Myrtle Beach. That's correct,
7: Frank. Myrtle Beach. Frank, uh, I tuned in about a half hour ago, and you know what? Um, the gentleman had picked up the phone, very polite. Uh, uh, I was a drinker back in the day, and my dad, rest his soul, used to drink Seagram's, ice water on the side, and I would drink Jack Daniel's, ice water on the side. Mm-hmm. But uh, as I called hangovers, you know, years ago, I still call it now. And I had a lot of friends who had to give up alcohol, man, the scourge of the bottle. Uh, I-, I used to call it the morning after the night before, the hangover. but. Uh, <laughs> Rimshot, shot. Yeah. The morning after the night before last night, uh, a nice gal invited her after to my place to cook her a little dinner and I was splashing some rum in the Coke and she liked it. And she liked the sausage and, and, you know, uh, uh red peppers and, and, and onions. Uh, but yeah, people really got to be cautious, you know, especially you young studs listening. Um, because alcohol, you know, anything to excess, anything you do to excess is too much. So just give it a little, little bit of thought. And, uh, the Jack Daniels, I was going to say, uh, Frank Sinatra said it best. Jack Daniels was his drink, and he called it uh, the nectar of the gods. <laughs> a great show, Frank. Thanks, Mike. I'm on a high-five
1: high for me. I sure will. Thank yep. you very much. Appreciate it. All right, why don't we do the $1,000 Minute next. Uh, if you want to be the seventh caller, if you are the seventh caller, I should say, to 800 we're going to give you an opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. If you could do that. If you can answer all 10 in 60 seconds, then you will be uh lucky enough to try and be the $1000. You'll you'll win a $1000. 10 trivia questions, 60 seconds, get them all right, win a $1000. Simple as that. Be the 7th caller now to 800-848-9222
0: straight ahead. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano.
1: This is ACDC, Have a Drink on Me. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing, uh, just join our Facebook group. We'll post the songs in there after every program. Uh, Just go on to Facebook and uh, just search Morano, M-O-R-A-N-O, Radio Fans and Haters. Or you can just go to Facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano. That's Facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano. Without further ado, it is time for
0: The Other Side of Midnight presents It's the Thousand Dollar Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano.
1: Let us say hello to Marty in Baltimore. Hello, Marty. Hello, Frank. I love your show. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I was missing, uh, they used to run on
3: WCBM, the um, Coast to Coast, and they stopped and they were running reruns of the daily shows. And then uh, I started to listen to it. And then I heard your show and I I stopped, you know, uh, missing Coast to Coast.
1: Wonderful. I love hearing that, Marty. Thank you. So uh, because you're a relatively new listener, uh, because we're relatively new to uh, uh, Baltimore, have you heard this portion of the show before? Oh, yes. Okay. So you know the rules. You know what to do. I do. All right. Um, uh, just uh, don't get nervous. I think you're going to be just fine, okay? Okay. All right. Terrific. What is the date of New Year's Eve? December 31st. Santa's sleigh is pulled by what flying animals? Reindeer. Who wrote the novel A Christmas Carol? Charles uh, Dickens. What horror movie villain kills people in their dreams? Freddy Krueger. What musical takes place in Russia and features the song, If I Were a Rich Man?
3: Fiddler on the Roof.
1: There have been three presidents who were married in office. Name one of them. Oh, um, Taft. Ah, uh, I'm sorry. No, Taft was... Uh, he was always <laughs> married. So you have uh, Woodrow Wilson is the most recent... John okay. Tyler is the oldest, and uh, in between you had Grover Cleveland. Uh, you did really well, though. You got up to oh, uh, question six, and you were doing that at a great pace. Uh, Marty, I'm going to put you on hold. Give Ryan your information. We're going to send you a, a prize of some sort, okay? Oh,
4: terrific. Thank you.
1: Hey, thanks, Marty. I appreciate All you right. listening. Please spread the word down there for us in Baltimore. We'll uh, will do. All appreciate right. Appreciate that. Thank thanks. you. That's. Uh, I was really rooting for Marty. Seems like a great guy and uh, a good listener, right? I love love that kind of enthusiasm, right? You, you, you know, I feel like almost the New York area listeners get, get a little spoiled be- because there's just so many complaints. Oh, Frank talks too much about politics. Frank doesn't talk enough about politics. Frank talks too much about aliens. Frank doesn't talk enough about aliens. Frank talks too much about himself. Frank doesn't talk enough about himself. The, the Baltimore people maybe it's because they've been without a uh, a quality overnight show for a while the Baltimore people feel that they actually um you know they they feel I feel like they appreciate the show a bit more and at least that's my view hey um you know what I did yesterday last night I went to a great little uh cigar establishment in Manhattan and um i my Friend Pat Russo invited me and it was great to hang out with him. And so I had been texting most of the day yesterday with Andrew Giuliani, who I've become pretty friendly with. I, um, I, always, I always liked Andrew and have known him a few years now. I met him at the White House about five years ago when he was working for President Trump and I liked him almost instantly. And uh, I really, really always got along with him. And I got to know him a little bit more during Curtis's campaign because he was helping out on Curtis's campaign. Then I got to know him a bit more uh, through his, his dad because his dad is a colleague of mine. And I've really become such a, a friend and a fan of Andrew's. So I said to Andrew, and we have uh, children that are the exact same age. His daughter is uh, five days younger than my son, right? And we, So we're going through all this stuff at the exact same time, Right. When they're crawling, when they're eating and stuff. So um, I said – we were texting most of the day about Tunnel to Towers because we were both part of the Red Apple Audio Network's Radiothon. And um, I said, you know, I'm going to this thing at the uh, Carnegie Club. If you want to drop by, you know, I know Pat would get a kick out of meeting you. He's a big Giuliani supporter. And you know what? He came. And we had a great time. And uh, I met this other fellow that I'm actually going to invite to be part of our crypto panel next week. This fellow, Adam, who's an expert on crypto, he's a lawyer, professor at John Jay, and he gave me quite an education about this FTX scandal. So on a Tuesday morning in our third hour, we're going to have a whole crypto panel. I invited him to be a part of it. But I was talking to Andrew about a whole bunch of things. And basically, uh, the caller brought this up before, Sid Rosenberg, who is now friendly with Mayor Adams again, Sid has been trying to put together this summit of the mayors, of Mayor Giuliani and Mayor Adams. And basically, I asked Andrew, you know, do you think that's going to happen? And you know what he said? I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble by saying this. But he said, absolutely. He said, if Mayor Adams really wanted to meet with my dad, he would absolutely meet with him because he cares about the city, and if there's any advice that he could offer him or any perspective that he could offer him, he will absolutely uh, do it. So I was very encouraged to hear that. So I actually do think that that Sid Rosenberg uh, summit is likely to come to fruition, and I hope it does uh, for the sake of the uh, of the city. Hey, real quick, the, <laughs> looking through, I'm a former Guinness World Record holder. I once held the record for longest live TV talk show marathon, And I always like to see what records are broken and what records are, you know, set. And I'm looking through the 10 oddest Guinness World Records of the year that were set. Sure enough, there are some odd records that were set. Most drink cans placed on a head using air suction, okay? Most eggs balanced on the back of the hand. How many eggs do you think can be balanced on the back of a hand? 18, 18 eggs, bounce on the back of a hand. Um, That is a record by Ibrahim Sadek of Nasriya, Iraq. 18 eggs on the back of his hand, God bless him. Fastest tightrope walk in high heels. Uh, No, excuse me, farthest tightrope walk in high heels. That is um, uh, Vermont teenager Ariana Wonderly who has been performing with a circus since the age of two, and in four-inch high heels, she walked 639 feet, seven inches, across a tightrope in high heels. Can you imagine? Fastest time to eat ten Carolina Reaper chilies. The hottest peppers in the world. Ten of them. How much time? 33 seconds. By um, Greg Foster of California. Um, This was, I remember this at the time, I think I mentioned this in a commendations one week. The largest gathering of people with the same first and last name. This is neat. Japan's same name association of Harakuzu Tanaka's, founded in 1994 by, you guessed it, Harakuzu Tanaka, Managed to gather 178 people who share the same name at an October gathering in Tokyo. That's pretty neat. Um, farthest distance to blow a pee. This is from David Rush. I've interviewed David Rush before. I love this guy. He set his 250th Guinness World Record this year. He does this to create awareness for STEM education. And he used the breath in his lungs to blow a pea a distance of eighty four feet and eleven point two inches um there's some other good good ones longest beard chain that is one hundred fifty feet of facial length That's incredible and then the last one I'll mention here fastest time to assemble mr. Potato head five point four three seconds. You know, I, I am definitely looking to get more attention for this program and get more exposure for this show, right, in the hopes that, you know, people like uh, the gentleman from Baltimore you just heard. I think once people sample this show, once they know about it, either in podcast form or live on the radio, I think once they know about it, they'll like it. But um, I I think that's the problem is getting more earned media. So I was l- thinking maybe we should try and set some world records and I don't know, maybe we should set one like um, longest radio show hosted underwater or something or something along those lines. I was thinking of trying to set the record for longest live radio interview. That's about 25 hours. And if I had somebody really interesting, I could break that record. So I was thinking maybe that. But if you have any ideas for records either that are already established or records that I could set, ideally it should be in the, something in the broadcasting realm. Um, Let me know. You can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.m-o-r-a-n-o at wabcradio.com. Because, uh, you know, it's fun. I I had set this record for longest live TV talk show marathon in 2005, and it was a 33-hour TV talk show. That record has been obliterated a dozen times since then. The record is so long now it makes me want to pass out just looking at the record. It's something like over 88 hours on on TV. I uh, can't break that record. And the radio record is is similar. So uh but um tw- a 25 hour interview I could do. I was thinking who might I interview? I was thinking maybe my uh friend Arthur Idala, but he, I I don't know if maybe because he's on a competing radio channel now, maybe that wouldn't fly. I was thinking maybe Bill Burns, who's a fascinating guy to talk to. I was also thinking Curtis because it's a combination of you need someone that's interesting enough to ask questions to for 25 <laughs> hours. But you also need someone that has the energy to be, uh, to be awake and vibrant for 25 hours. can't be someone that's fallen asleep while you, uh, while you interview them. But I'm serious, though. If you have an idea for a record that has not yet been set or you look through the Guinness Book of World Records or the website and you say, oh, you know, I bet you you could break that record. Shoot me a suggestion because I think that might be something fun that we can try and do more of in the uh, in the new year. All right. I had a bunch of other stuff to do, too. We'll do 15 seconds of fame next. Eight hundred eight, four, eight, nine, two, two, two. If we have uh, if we have some extra time, I'll give you some of the other highlights of things that, we, that I had on my list. Otherwise, we'll save them for Monday. This is The Other Side of Midnight, 15 seconds of fame, straight ahead.
0: It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
9: the sun goes down you might need a place to call your own somewhere out there on the other side of
1: The Other Side of Midnight by Stevie G and the Screwdrivers. You know, I sincerely think this is a great song. I, I don't know if people think I'm putting them on when I say it. I think this song is terrific. If you want to download it, it's available on uh, iTunes, I think, for $0.99 cents or $1.99. It's very reasonable. And I think it would be great, a great story, if we could get uh, one of the songs that we kind of broke on this show to be just like a real hit song. You know, a billboard charted song and everything. And uh, I think this is great. So if you want to do that, search it on uh, iTunes, the other side of
0: midnight, Stevie G and Screwdrivers.
1: All right. Without further ado, we'll give you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds as part of
0: The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame.
7: Joe! Ron Cogs. I want to shout out Frankie from Glendale and Mike from Myrtle Beach.
2: Have a great weekend, Frank. Thank you. Neil. Frankie, how do you spell QWERTY?
4: (laughs) Mike. Morning, Frank. Frank, when you donate blood and that blood is eventually transfused, what is the likelihood that person will be over the legal limit
1: and perhaps experience a hangover? That's a great question. Bob. Bob. Hello. Roger.
7: Well, maybe, maybe I'm not the brightest bulb on a tree. After all these years, you know, I hear six geese laying five golden rings. Well, I guess one of them was a fairly energetic uh, male. Raji. Although inflation is 8%, the price of a can of Goya beans at our gristides has been avariciously
1: jacked up by 65%. Oh, please. David.
2: I want to congratulate my one and only niece for becoming the first member of my family accepted into an Ivy League college oh, today.
1: Congratulations to her. Absolutely. Uh, Jerry.
6: Yeah, hi, Frank. How are you? I wanted to say hi to all my YGTT colleagues and, and uh, wish Matty well on a EMT course. Absolutely. Henry.
3: Two matters.
6: Uh, the question
3: that stumped your uh, $1,000 minute person was on Jeopardy earlier this week as, uh, you know, the final Jeopardy question.
1: Pays to watch and Jeopardy.
3: As far, and as far as the Guinness record, uh, I would say, what's the smallest object that has been juggled, even if using something like
1: chopsticks? Bob.
3: Yeah, I'm fed up with the way
6: things are going in this country. And it's time for a death penalty for white-collar criminals. Thank you.
1: And finally, Mike. Frank, how many
8: gobbles do you think Mitch McConnell could fit in his mouth at one time?
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't say, right? I mean, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, if you're going to make fun of Mitch McConnell, yeah, I think because of the size of his mouth, uh, that's that's really pretty low rent, if you ask me. There's so much other stuff to criticize him on. All right. Uh, have a great weekend. Uh, I am looking forward to wonderful Christmas party tonight and uh, my brother's birthday party on uh, Sunday. Hopefully, whatever you're doing, it's fun. Be back here Monday morning, same time, same station. Frank Moreno, good day.